Hey, let's start the show. It's January 22nd, 2014. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Right. Look at that fucking squirrel on my bird feeder. And then suddenly, the Enterprise D's bridge. I'm Will Smith. Fading out slowly in the background is the Enterprise D's bridge. Seems like this just goes on for a long time. Uh, Norman Chan, Mm -hmm. how are you doing, sir? Doing all right. You are. Uh, you have a big white box on your desk, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Jeremy Williams, Hi. welcome back to the show. Thanks. I love that dubstep intro. It's, it's the, those it, it, the drops are heavy. I, I guess that's an old thing for you guys. Whoa, whoa, I've never whoa, whoa, heard whoa, whoa, it before. Whoa, whoa. So many wubs. We, you know, dubstep. Remember dubstep? Oh no, I'm with it. Yeah, we. I didn't know it was old. We got deep into dubstep like two years ago, maybe when back when Gary was. I think that was when we were still recording in my lip in my dining room mm. after the whiskey sale and before we had an office that had air conditioning and stuff. So I'm pro dubstep intro. It's a little tricky because I like the dude who made the dubstep intro didn't have a clean take on the first few chimes. Mm. So the dubstep intro starts at oh. the third chime. You have to mix it. So I have, you to, have, to, I have to I have to live live play that. I play the normal song. Yep. And then at the second chime, I hit hit the second button. So it's like you're yeah. just like girl talk. You're I know like, it's you're amazing. like Skrillex right I'm, here. I'm I just I'm just saying I make dubstep right here. I feel like uh, the baddest ass podcast DJ in the world. Um, not really. How's everybody? Uh, th- so this is a good opportunity for you to comment if you're watching this on YouTube or on Tested or listening on your podcast about how much you hate the dubstep intro because that's what happens every. That's why we stopped using. It oh, I see. That's it's a little tricky. But um, how are you doing, sir? Um, well. I'm doing well. We're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and it has been a busy technology news morning already. I'll say. Um, who, who would have thought Microsoft could make so much news? I assume you can't talk about the thing that you saw this morning, Norm, right? I can talk about it. It's oh, you can't? Okay. Oh, you put it on the list. Oh, good. Um, as long as this podcast comes up after 6 a.m. Tomorrow? PST, the day that this podcast normally comes out on. That should be no problem. No problem whatsoever. Um... So Microsoft had a huge Windows 10 keynote announcement thing this morning. Uh, they flew a bunch of people up to to Seattle um, and put them in the in the uh, visitor center conference room uh, or or uh, a theater amphitheater, I guess, um, and kind of updated on what's been happening with Windows 10 since build last fall. Uh, they talked about. Uh, they showed a lot more of the OS working. You know, last time they kind of talked in vague specifics about, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to unify the start screen apps and the desktop. We're going to kind of smooth off the rough edges of Windows. We're going to make make it so that the OS is more aware of what mode you're using the device in. Like the, the OS will be more aware of, okay, this is a this is a Surface tablet without the keyboard attached. This is it'll behave differently with the keyboard attached without the keyboard attached stuff like that. But they didn't really give a lot of concrete examples, and they didn't show kind of specifics they, they they didn't show a ton of specifics with this today but they showed more working and I, I thought it was overall a really um good showing on microsoft's part i thought that that it was um like this is the most excited i've been about windows since probably the windows 7 announcement yeah a me long too time ago. now from the build conference i was excited about small things like they're bringing the start menu back yeah and there's better copy and paste from the command prompt which i actually use from time to time mm-hmm. 
but there's some real concrete things to be kind of excited about now. It's not to mention, uh, can we talk about pricing? Yeah, so the big thing is that it's going to be free for Windows 8 users and Windows 7 users with an asterisk. So they initially announced it as free for anyone with Windows 7 and Windows 8 and you put one without distinguishing between 8 and RT. So... Presumably, RT devices are going to get it regardless. The, the question was asked at, uh, in the, at Q&A. the Q&A, and they said that that will be announced later. But they said they were working on it. Working on it. So who knows? But uh, for a year, and then apparently it's 8 forever. If you have Windows 8, then you get the upgrade. So what Yahoo said, presumably, this is uh, um, presumably based on pre-briefing, is that Windows 8 users will always have... Uh, we'll always be able to upgrade Windows 7. The free upgrade is a limited time one year offer from the time of launch. I assume they want to get as many people on Windows 8 or Windows 10 as possible. Well, and, um, and so the executive who's doing who announced this also said, I think it was Terry Myerson, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure, um, said that uh, it was going to be that they were treating Windows as a surf, as a service rather than a product, but not a subscription service. So so they clarified this in the Q&A as well. Um, what they meant was Microsoft is treating Windows as a service, meaning that they're going to be updating it more frequently and and it'll be more of a gradual progression than, you know, hard stops between releases as OSs have traditionally been. So they'll constantly be adding new stuff to it. They didn't say that they were going to go to it. There's no change in the business model for Windows for home users, which it, to me says, hey, we're not going to do a subscription service. So is so, there just one version of Windows, haven't said any of that stuff yeah. yet. I would assume so, so given y- what we you know. hope so. You would hope. I mean, you've talked about departures from the past. The reasons of multiple SKUs of Windows is pricing. You can segment pricing, um, and you can also integrate feature, charge more for the for server stuff, right? And support it differently. Um, my, my hunch is that a lot of this seems to be a reaction to the success of Chromebooks in the last eight or twelve months. Um, especially at the low end laptop price point, you know, you know sub five hundred and sub two hundred dollar laptops. Um, you know, Google gives away Chrome OS for free. Microsoft has started giving away Chrome OS for free at Mike that Windows. price range. Uh, win- Windows, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, but they haven't. Uh, they don't have a good way to make money on Windows when they're giving it away for free. My guess is that we'll see some sort of like Xbox Live Gold style. Here's here's default Windows, mm-hmm. but then if you pay us sixty dollars a year, ninety nine dollars a year, whatever it ends up being, here's what you get. Here's some added benefit stuff that you get on top of it, and that may include like Office or light versions of Office. You know, it's it's kind of the Office three sixty five slash OneDrive model, um, and it's what Google does with storage as well, rolling out to Windows. So, yeah. they're, so they're going to look at it more as here's a thing that we can get people to use. What ways can we get money, get money off of them other than charging them $99 at Best Buy to buy an upgrade? So no disc. initial bottom line. And so OEMs aren't going to pay I would Windows say, for, to put Windows 10 on laptops? On cheap laptops. I think I can't imagine if you're HP and you're looking at a Chromebook that you can sell for $200 or the same exact thing that runs Windows well, let's, for $100 let's say a more. $1,000 laptop. Let's say an Ultrabook. I think that Windows will still call. I, I think what we'll see is a difference in SKUs. I think that the the version that comes on the Chromebooks will be light and small enough to run on a 32 or 64 gigabyte SSD versus a 256 or 512 gigabyte SSD that you'd see in an Ultrabook and a heavy emphasis on cloud storage so that Microsoft is then charging you know, you get 100 gigs free of cloud space, OneDrive space when you buy the device. But if you want to go beyond that, then you have to pay an, a monthly fee or something like that. Do analysts anticipate that this affects the bottom line initially um, significantly? I don't know. The The thing that 
my understanding of Windows from the time that I was covering Windows on a regular basis, which was Windows through through Windows Seven, basically, um, it was one of my beats at Maximum PC. And my understanding was that retail sales to consumer of OS, including OEM additions that people buy from Newegg to put on their home built PCs and upgrades for existing machines, is a tiny, tiny percentage of the revenue that Microsoft expected to generate off of Windows. So my hunch is they're saying, look, we're going to throw away. Five to ten percent of our bottom line on Windows, in the hopes that it gets people signed up for services. With a plan to sign people up for services that will generate X amount of revenue that's greater than the five to ten percent that we're throwing away. That that's like. Services. I'm also glad you said it was a model that you think they are adopting off of Chrome and Chromebooks on the low cost side, and not the iterative upgrade cycle of Apple, because that has come to. Uh, it's a boondoggle that 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 has come to bite them, at least in perception uh, of late. I mean, we well, we've been talking about kind of drift on OS 10 and iOS, and it and while they add neat features every year, like starting with Siri and Apple Maps, the uh, the Apple OSs have gotten a little bit crappier each year. Um, or, or maybe not crappy, just less reliable and less kind of rock solid than they were in the, say, Snow Leopard days, right? Um, I, I, think, I think that the service model is the way to go for OSs because it lets them respond much more quickly to both things that change inside their ecosystem. Because you know, with Microsoft, there's dozens or hundreds of companies building products for their platform. And if they can't adapt the OS to take advantage of the stuff that people are coming up with to put into those devices, then they're going to fall behind. Um, Apple doesn't have that problem because you know they know exactly what they're making and they roll it out on a regular re- regular release schedule. Assuming that um, Windows 10 is a success and and something that people want to install, seems like the only people who will be using Windows 7 will be the pirates or the stalwarts and diehards. Right? I mean, there's always a lot of people don't upgrade, just don't upgrade. Um, yeah, familiarity is a like rare, I, rare thing. Yeah, I wouldn't upgrade my parents. If my parents were still using a PC, I wouldn't upgrade their PC to something that looks new like Windows 8. Just period. Um, so let's see. They talked about a ton of stuff. Uh, unified approach across all the platforms. So all of your stuff syncs across the devices. Um, it's much more seamless in the way with a kind of cloud-mediated syncing. So you can pick, put, put something down on one device, pick it up on the other. Uh, at the same time, the devices will be more tuned to work in the way that you would expect. So a desktop PC will boot into the desktop mode when you have a keyboard and mouse attached to it. If you have a touchscreen attached to it, you may have to choose, you know, so that, you know, your surface will behave differently when it has the keyboard attached than it when you're just using it as a pure tablet, which is kind of the way it should have been to begin with. Um, they also talked about unifying, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Metro modern apps will be able to work inside windows on the desktop, like normal applications. Um, there, all of the ways to switch tasks in windows eight will be unified so that your modern apps and your desktop apps are all the same. That, that stuff kind of happened with windows 8.1. Um, I still launch things in one with that go into the met, uh, Metro style that I don't know how to exit. And that maybe oh, you I, have to hit the windows key windows uh, D Windows D. Yeah, See, Windows I, D. I Alt F four that stuff, and I figure how are most how are what's Alt F four close close current app. Oh yeah, yeah. You can get stuck in Windows in Metro. Like when when Gina was using my desktop computer, which she doesn't do anymore because of Windows eight point one, she got stuck in there and didn't know how to get out of a, out of a modern app. Yeah, right. It's just it's just like a I'm, lot of this stuff. Just to be clear, a lot of this stuff are things that they should have done with eight before they rolled out eight to consumers. Yes, like you shouldn't have been able to buy eight until the control panels either duplicated functionality between Metro and modern and desktop apps or 
you used one control panel or the other, but didn't have half of your settings in one thing. But inexplicably, when you need to connect a Bluetooth device, you have to go to the modern control panel. We all know that Windows 8 was a, a big investment in trying to get into that tablet space and mobile space and that UI and then trying to bolster user. Uh, well, and I think it was also to take a part of every app sale on Windows. I mean, I think the goal ultimately was, hey, we need to have a store, an app store for Windows. Yeah. Which was a abysmal failure because it wasn't very good. Um, so it's possible they may end up selling these premium services on the App Store, right? I would assume that these premium services go through your Windows Live ID, yeah. Yeah. I hope I don't have to pay for a remote desktop. That's all I want. I just want free remote desktop. Well, I mean, you can get remote desktop with a third-party thing. but Microsoft has always been the highest frame rate in my experience. It's, it's good for everything that's not DirectX or video, yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, The... Okay, so my, my hunch is that if they're charging for stuff, it'll be base level features are free, and then you pay X number of dollars a month for professional or whatever, yeah. the, you know, the stuff that you previously would have gotten a higher skew it's, for. It's, it's a risky territory uh, when you're talking about things like Dropbox versus integration with Drive. Well, so the difference between what Microsoft is doing and what Apple's doing, if you want to look at services, is that Microsoft is actually embracing other platforms. So you can use your iOS device with OneDrive, but you can't use your iCloud stuff on a Windows phone. Or, right. and, and, and while you can't use but iCloud on if, a Windows if a PC. The service that they want to sell is OneDrive subscription, much mm-hmm. like Dropbox. And the competitive advantage is that with Windows 10, you have better integration. Then you're also talking about the same stuff they were doing 15, 20 years ago. With, with, with IE bundling? Yes. Um, I think it's a little bit different scenario I mean, I'm, now. I'm, I'm sure that they are aware of the risks. But you're talking about government sell, regulation. How else do you sell competitive advantage? I think you I think you do the same thing that they did on Xbox Live, where they take here are the features that feel like premium features and segment them out and say if you want to get access but on to Xbox, you can't get a third party for those premium features on Windows. Theoretically, you can get an so, alternative. So then in that in that world, their alternative has to be more compelling for both people who exclusively use Windows I mean, it may be that they're looking at saying, look, we're going to make this the best thing that we can make for people who only use Windows. That's fine. Um, I think that if they're if they're smart. It, the, so to take a step further back, the tonal difference between this talk today and, say, the Windows 8 announcement was that the Windows 8 announcement, the tone of that was, this is the thing we're doing. You better get in line because it's going to happen. And you want to be on the forefront, not on the trailing edge. This seemed to be, hey, we want to make something that people actually like to use and works the way that they expect them to work, rather than we're jamming this thing down your throat, whether you like it or not. I it's mean, a more humbled approach. I, I thought it was a much... the. Tonally, it was a it was the more interesting press conference I've seen in the last six or twelve months, and it's something we would have seen five years ago at CES. Um, this is exactly the thing that we would have seen at maybe CES. I don't know. Yes, it would have been their their keynote. This it, wasn't this would have been this was so focused on one thing, whereas the Microsoft keynotes were the whole spectrum of Microsoft crap. This, I mean, this was a whole spectrum of Microsoft Windows crap in terms of looking forward to the future, in terms of professional things. It it, it is. I, I, I'm glad they didn't do it at CES. I'm glad the thing no longer exists. But it is very similar to a Bill Gates CES keynote. It, it got a little more in the weeds than a Bill Gates CES keynote would have, I, th- I think. But yes, you're, you're right. There was a wide spectrum of stuff on display. They would have shown more OEM, hardware OEM stuff. They would have shown something from the future, like cars or connected homes or well, cable they, they did boxes show something or something like that. I think we did see We did future. see something from the future, but... They would have shown something from the immediate future as well. Okay, um, I missed the desktop talk. Can you tell me about Cortana on the desktop? So, um, 
Yeah, Cortana on the desktop is is basically a voice assistant a la Siri or um, okay, uh, Google Now or Alexa on the Amazon Echo um, tied to the Windows ecosystem. Um, it seemed to be deeply embedded. Now, at this point, I, I haven't had literally we were recording this right after that stream ended. And I wrote the post um, and my stream was up and down constantly. So I may have missed some important, super huge moment. And I haven't had a chance to rewatch it yet. Um, it, the demos were really, really underwhelming of what Joe Belfort was showing on stage. So what type of questions and what type of There was knowledge graph type stuff. So they were asking, um, I don't remember the specific knowledge graph example, but it was a, on the same line of, you know, how tall do you have to be to ride the roller coaster in San Jose? Um, so she parses Wikipedia. Or other, you know, it parses stuff that Bing understands. Was, okay. You know, hey, Cortana speaks Bing. Great. That is old technology that is Can works be, really well in Google's case and really poorly in Apple's case. Right. I expect Bing to be somewhere in between. Yeah, but Google That's uses good. Wikipedia for a lot of their yeah. information. And, right. Uh, and D- does Wolfram Alpha. Right. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, it's all driven off of knowledge graph on the search. Uh, on the Google side, on yes. The Google and side. Does, it, does Bing pull that out in Bing the big ha- quote at the top, like Bing, if you do a search for that? I don't know if they pull it out in the big quote, but they have, they have long prided themselves on the quality of their semantic under, yeah. understanding of con- contextual information. Um, I, I would in expect the way they display be, information. It's not just a quote. Like they will present it, mm-hmm. much like Google does, present the results differently mm. uh, based on what they think you're searching for. Um, and I'm sure you know, the ads that go along with that. Uh, Cortana on desktop is... is just like, you know, when we were talking about Alexa on uh, the uh, Echo and the Amazon Echo, it is them needing the the vocal interface. They they need data. They need people to use it. And, you know, building it into Windows is a no-brainer. I think that having it on Windows Phone, Windows 10 Mobile or Windows Mobile, um, is not enough to get people to buy that phone. So just put it everywhere. I, and, and, I mean, Google does that. You can get You can say, okay, Google in Chrome, and it pops up. Can you do that on the desktop? On the now? desktop, yeah, you have to turn it on. Um, it may only be. I think it's in. I think it's it was anything after like third build thirty five or something like that. It's now, been in for a while. What it doesn't do that, to the best of my knowledge, is it doesn't do what Google Now does, which is prov- provide information ahead of uh, when you've actually searched for it. And, well, so this is the, you mean the you mean the Google Now cards specifically. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the things he talked about in a very non concrete way. But he said that Cortana was now aware of all the contextual information that you put into the system. So in addition to being a knowledge graph type search, it also seems to be a search of things like your calendar and email and contacts and notes that you've made and things like that. I assume in some subset of the applications that are available on windows, it was, it was really, it was pretty vague. It was kind of boring because there was a fairly good lag between the two interactions. Um, I think voice search is much less interesting to us than it is for next generation, a younger generation like Jeremy, like your son, who uh, their primary interaction with computers is voice. Do you think? Yeah. If you think we get frustrated with Siri, these kids, but they are persistent. They will ask Siri to send an email to their dad for five minutes until she finally understands what it is they're saying. It's, it's something, something funny that happened this week is my daughter now, because my wife uses the Amazon Echo as a timer for kitchen and laundry and all that stuff. So it goes off fairly regularly throughout the day. Yeah. And now when she say, sees, um, when the timer goes off, she says, Alexa, stop. But, you know, she's a toddler, so she doesn't have very good enunciation. doesn't understand. <laughs> I think human Pretty interaction, uh, computer... Hu- the uh, the interaction experts underestimate the potential of voice 
or and have and maybe the technology wasn't has you think so has been ready it's just still futuristic I, I think we're still in the very nascent stages of that frustratingly stuff so we feel like we've been stuck in those ages for a while it's like we got these interesting well, I mean, tools it's not a simple problem to solve siri launched with the four or four four s and that was october of 2011 so we're literally four years in um you know, then the Google now stuff is already a leap ahead of what Siri was doing. Yeah. The Siri changes that came with iOS eight are it's dramatically improved. I don't know if you've used it, if you use it still. And it is. And, and voice interaction is tied to AI. I mean, it's all of search is tied to AI and it is really a race to who could build the, the best AI engine and the best AI service. And the best set of the best collection of information that's relevant to what people are asking for. And then that AI will be sold as a service. You think so? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe to, to so, the enterprise. But. Exa- abs- abs- exactly. Medical, enterprise, any type of industry. Yeah. Like Watson, like IBM's in that game right. already. That, I mean, you build, you use the user, like the end user, as a way to strengthen it, to teach it, mm-hmm. and then you sell its abilities, its, your, your proprietary algorithms and your data centers as a service to small companies who need that kind of parsing, you know, the, the smarts. Put, put another way, um, we've cloud storage as a service that people pay for and that companies pay for and use has been around for a fairly long time, but the use of compute beyond simple databases and web, so web serving and stuff like that is relatively new. Um, you game servers were probably the first online thing that you could buy compute for like CPU cycles on, on a data center someplace. Voice is the first kind of mainstream mass market use of that outside of web search web serving and, and game servers you that think i can think of any startup in, you know in 10 years from now you know is going to have some type of ai component and they're not going to want to build the processing centers and the data centers and the algorithms they could, they'll just license that and it'll be you know this service with ai provided by google or amazon or microsoft or facebook yeah, I mean, I think this is a big company. The, th- the thing that's interesting about this is it's a big company problem, right? Yeah. It is a thing that requires billions of dollars of R&D to, to reach a point where it's shitty and then more honing and work over a long period of time to get it good. I mean, we've seen four iterations of the, pho- of the iPhone since, since Siri came out, and it's just now getting to a point where I use it without cringing every time. All right, so what other desktop applications were shown um, there's a ton of stuff. The uh, they showed uh, mail client running Outlook running on both the phone and the desktop or, or a PC of some kind. Um, it, it's unclear. Like they didn't show enough of that to know whether they dumb. It's the same same UI across both devices. Uh, it's kind of scaled up for the for the PC. It's unclear whether it's still a dumbed down. PC interface compared to the phone or if they're actually, uh, you know, making everything, making the, the PC client good on a PC context and the phone client good in a phone context and keeping the stuff that makes sense between the two. Um, I think we'll have to actually use it to know how well they've accomplished that. Um, but they are using, they are universal apps now. So this is the thing that they said is it's an app that you write once. It seems like it runs on the phone, runs on the PC, runs on other platforms without caveats. Um, Whereas in the past they said you have to use certain APIs and and subsets of of APIs and stuff like that. So um, that's interesting, but we won't really know about that until we until we see it running in uh, the real world. Um, the most important desktop app. This they is showed. the big one. Yeah, it's Project Spartan is their IE God, replacement. They love Halo. Man, if you got Halo, you better best lean into it. Um, oh, by the way, if you can't change your nickname with Cortana, so she calls you Chief. <laughs> they've really fucked that up, right? Am I the only one who thought that? Cortana, call me chief. 
Okay, Chief. So that's many all chiefs. I that's want. Good. So many Chiefs. Um, I, so as I was watching this demo, they ran through a couple of things that the browser does. Uh, the two key features that they showed were the ability to highlight and leave notes on web pages and then share that with people. Um, I think uh, app, I, uh, OS X added that in the last version of Safari, which I don't think anybody really uses. Um, they add that to their email client. Oh, it's the email client. That's yeah. right. Um, I'm not... I, like, I don't know if that's a feature that people need. The reading mode, they're adding a reading mode that works more like Instapaper than, say, Safari's reading mode. So you'll get a stripped down, no no web page around your article view of an article. It saves that information to the cloud so that then when you open up that same reading view on your phone, the the thing will be there whether you're actually connected to the internet at the time or not, which I think is is a really interesting thing to integrate in the OS, but isn't the kind of thing that makes me change browsers because I already have third-party extensions that can do that. Um it's a universal application. It's Cortana aware, it seemed like, from what they were talking about. So you can ask Cortana things inside the browser, like look up words, highlight uh, dates and times and stuff like that, and then add, use that to add them to the calendar uh, in an almost fantastically way. Hmm. Um, I, they didn't talk about things like the renderer. Um, what whether they're using an open source project, grew their own in-house, or have evolved the IE renderer. Seems like it's probably not going to replace IE at first, especially on x86. Um, it's not in the build of, of Windows 10 that's going out to the Insider preview program later this week, um, but it will be coming in, in coming months. Um, Three to four to five months. Yeah. I mean, a new browser is, which also tells us that they're not expecting to release Windows 10 for three to four to five months. Oh, I mean, probably. Uh, I mean, nobody's surprised by that. But October. Yeah. September, I, September, October. Um, like I said, Universal App, they didn't talk about whether you could have extension support, um, how plugins and stuff like that work for things like Java and Flash. Should you want to install that at this, in, in 2015 where we shouldn't need that shit anymore? Um, I would assume they didn't talk about performance or anything. The design is very minimalist. The tabs are above the frame of the window. There's no bars. They didn't show any bars. Um, minimal kind of UI Chrome to click on stuff. It, it, I mean, it looked fine, but again, it's the kind of thing that you won't really know what 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 is there until you actually use it for a while. Um, I, it's, I think it's interesting that they think that the IE name is so utterly trashed that they're not calling it a, a version of IE. And they said, okay, we're going to start over and here's the new name. Um, but if they had to start over to make it universal, good on them. Uh, and, and theoretically, if these applications are all universal, it should be easier for them to maintain and roll out new features more quickly that then apply to all the platforms. Like if they can, if they can use these universal apps to sidestep carriers being slow to update their OS on the phone side, that, that makes windows more interesting to me in a lot of ways than other stuff. It's kind of what uh, uh, Google did by moving the key apps to the play store rather than the OS level. Uh, last year or the year before, I guess now. Um, so yeah, all the windows 10 stuff is coming to the insider program. Uh, desktop users will get an update next week or later this week. Um, uh, phone users will be updated in February, but as typically that is at the mercy of the carriers. Um, I guess you can unlock your phone, put it in dev mode if you want to live on the edge. Um, they all, oh, they also talked about Xbox integration. This is the last thing. So they talked about games. Seems like every 10 years or so, Microsoft cares about PC games again. Uh, they showed, on the Xbox front, they showed a overlay, an Xbox overlay that I think you hit by, got to by pressing Windows key plus G. Um, 
that popped up a UI that then let you do the Xbox DVR from the Xbox One. So on the Xbox One, when you say Xbox record that, it takes a buffer of the last few minutes of gameplay and saves it as a video that you can then edit and upload to different services. Um, they showed uh, Xbox. So is this, is it's this worth pointing out though. Desktop that, or is this? Yeah, desktop. This is desktop. It's yeah. worth pointing out to you that this worked on a Steam game. Yeah, this so works on. You don't have to be yes. running something within a Windows, you know, env- environment, some sort of Windows layer. And Nvidia has had Nvidia had that for years. So, uh, yeah, no, no doubt. Games, but this it's is, this is Microsoft we're talking about. Yeah, so it's good for them. It's built in, and at this point, like the Nvidia released it before there was probably widespread enough hardware support for the encode stuff for it to be applicable to everyone. At this point, every CPU that's sold has H two six four live encode in it. So. Um, I, I mean, I think that's a, a great feature. I think it's, it's a good thing. But it's only have. for game DVR. It's not recording your desktop. It's only for game DVR. Got it. Um, so it seems do, like that layer is DX12. It seems like that layer or, or DX11 or whatever. It seems like it's through DirectX rather than rather than through the, the um, display model, uh, WDDM. Um, they showed uh, the Xbox app showing the friends list on the PC, which I think you can do now with the Windows version of the smart glass app. Um, if you if you want to see what your Xbox Live friends are into, this would have been infinitely more useful, say, 10 years ago when the Xbox 360 was new and people were playing a lot of multiplayer games. Uh, but, you know, I guess better late than never. Um, well, the idea is that you can if you see someone playing Call of Duty on, on your on Xbox Live on your PC, then you can just stream Call of Duty on your PC. Well, so that's the that's the next thing. Yeah, as they showed game streaming, so you can jump into you can launch games on your Xbox and stream them to your PC and watch them on the big screen. only over a local area network. Yes, yes. Well, that's yes. to be expected. And, and I believe I'm not sure. If wireless works. I wonder if VPN would be able to get around that limitation. You can almost certainly VPN around that if you were a crazy person, but the experience is going to be bad. <laughs> no doubt. Um, I'm surprised that the LAN experience will be good enough. So we've yeah. done a fair amount of, like I've used the street steam box streaming mm-hmm. in house. And as long as you're on wired or have a real Wi-Fi network, it's, it's, you can play a shooter or a racing game. No problem. Um, it depends on the game. So think of it this way: uh, when you're streaming, and this is the the reverse of the the, the streaming stuff that um, SteamOS and the Nvidia stuff can do. Um, instead of piping PC games rendering on the PC side over to your living room wirelessly or over a wired connection, it's the other way around. But games on the Xbox are designed with latency in mind. Multiplayer games, mm. so you're adding another layer of latency. But it's just think of having like a slightly worse internet connection. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would think fine because you know. It's not they're not it's not Twitch as Twitch as a desktop PC game. So even even in the early days of the Steam streaming with multiplayer well, with single player games it was fine. Even racing games, like you could play Need for Speed or whatever, um, you, you kind of adapt to the slight amount of latency that it adds. Um online shooters were rough, but that may have changed in the six months that I haven't used Steam's in home streaming very much. Um yeah. You know, if you have a wired network, it's going to be great. It's going to be pretty good, I would think, especially since on a console you're talking about a controlled streaming source, which is the hard part, I, I think. On the PC, there's a lot of variables, including yes. like video drivers and stuff like that that change constantly. This feature so, makes me it certainly is is something that appeals to me. It makes me want to get an Xbox One a little bit more. I have my Xbox out in the living room, which is just always filled with kids. Mm-hmm. Can't play my M-rated games whenever I want to. So being able to stream them back into my office. Yeah, it sounds like a win. Yeah, I mean, I think I think probably I'm. This is more appealing to me than most people because most people probably have a living room and a den, and there's a TV in both places, and and the kids can take one room, or you and your wife can separate. We have one TV in a small Northern California house, and and 
not having to buy a second Xbox to sit in my office if I want to play yeah. Sunset Overdrive or something is nice. Um, but now, will the Xbox be able to handle, for example, someone watching a video on that's the big the question, room and then you playing a game, yeah, uh, like Wii style, almost. You, I would, Wii style. I would think so, given the virtual machine nature of the Xbox OS. Um, but that remains to be seen. Right. So, and maybe not even watching video, but even using the Xbox UI for watching TV. Yeah. So, I mean, and since the, our TV goes through the Xbox, if Gina can't watch TV while I'm streaming the Xbox to the other room, this is a very value, low, low value right. feature to me. <laughs> um, uh, they talked about DirectX 12 a little bit, which is at this point not worth talking about. Did you see the tech demo? Which one? The one by Future Mark. The Fable thing? No, the Future Oh, Mark no, that's the, my stream crapped out, so I didn't get to okay. see it. I mean, it was completely, you know, it's just... It's fake. It's just, it could be, it might as well be. It's it's interesting, though. They they found something that DX11 doesn't do well, and they showed it off. Which, which they was? They compared it to DX12. They added more and more detail to two to the identical environments, one running DX11, one running DX12. It's like Inception. This, it was very much like that. This camera's just zooming through this cityscape. There's a cityscape on both sides of the screen, top and bottom, and more and more buildings and details added every frame but tessellation and then basically the dx11 starts to chug and then it just it can't handle it and it stops so this is one of those things that makes me a little bit crazy this is this is a fair demo like we, i've seen a lot of really bad demos for post dx9 uh direct x stuff where they're like we couldn't do god rays before right. yeah. in dx9 but now all of a sudden with direct x10 magically we can you know with with i think direct x once we once we reach direct x10 shader languages and and the apis that you use to c- talk to the video card were com- computationally complete the things that have changed since them are that they found efficiencies and better ways to do things that make the that make them more able to accelerate stuff like tessellation and hardware they talked about opening the hardware the video hardware up to the developers a little more than they have in the past well they have to do that because of the competition from things like uh AMDs, CUDA and stuff. CUDA, yeah, the, yeah the lower level api no even more than that mantle and the, the lower level apis that uh amd and nvidia are pushing mm. um so th- like that that is unsurprising um I, I until carmack weighs in on this I'm i don't think carmack gives a shit anymore <laughs> you're probably He's right. working on that thing i don't know maybe he does i'm sure he has opinions um and then they showed <laughs> cross-device multiplayer which i think i played shadow one with both of yous bo- oh, both of you do you remember a, that a great game before tf2 man TF2 that, before tf2 that game was it was so amazing playing against people using gamepads with a mouse and keyboard well they, they dumbed had, down the pc experience it didn't matter also we were still godlike <laughs> it was the best I've ever been at video games. Um, an interesting exercise in, in balance. That's right. So what are they promising every no, no, PC no. game? Uh, I select stuff. It seems like and fable is the one they demo. Yeah. So fable is a co-op type game. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Like, and, and frankly, I, it wouldn't have surprised me the way he was going with that talk. Um, if he had, if they had said, Hey, by the way, if you buy a game on the Xbox, you get the PC version like that just comes with it. That would be nice. I like right. that. That would be a nice thing. Or to vice add. versa. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay, so that's I think all of the Windows yeah, as launched through Xbox Live. That would make sense. If you know, one, you can only run one instance at once. Well, but if you're but once they showed the streaming, then you don't need that anymore, theoretically, because mm. you can just stream it to your PC and then your Xbox One games work on the PC. Um, 
they showed the Microsoft Surface Hub, which is a conference room thing for big businesses. It looks like it was designed by people who are really good at taking lots and lots of meetings um, and doing like conference calls and stuff like that. It is a smart TV with cameras and microphones and speakers and sensors and all depth sensors and all sorts of crazy stuff. Well, it's Perceptive Pixel, which Microsoft bought in 2012. What's this that is mean? The, it's um, a company. The, I think James Hahn, uh, remember that TED Talk that, that was done in like the first TED Talk? It was amazing, that wall. And he got like four guys on stage that do the, the wall touching and, and moving the, it was the first like minority report style, you know, yeah. real time multi-touch mm-hmm. surface. And we're talking about back in like 2006 before, before iPhone, the before multi-touch. It was so, when they first started pushing tech talks online. Yeah. But it was, was it before Microsoft un- announced surface? Like the first surface? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. This is 2006. No. Well that would, it would have been. That first surface was. Surface was around then. First, I, mean, I saw the first surface when I went to go look at Vista in Redmond. So regardless, this is they bought the company uh, a few years ago, and this is what's come of that, um, which is a return to the Surface name to what it was. Surface yeah. originally was, which was a you know, a multi-touch Surface device for collaboration, but instead of for the home, too. it's for it's for the office, and it's an eighty-four inch four K TV with. Lots of input points and Skype integration and and a stylus and stylus. It's a, a good. It seems like a whole computer inside too. It was yeah. running multiple apps and Windows and all that stuff. Like it looked really neat. It's not the kind of thing we usually talk about here, um, if, but it looked if, neat. If you and the person you're video conferencing both have one, then that's great. It's it's yeah exactly. <laughs> it's but it's one of those things that like if you when i've taken meetings at microsoft in redmond you go into these conference rooms and usually there's a in the old days at least there was a screen by the door that showed the schedule for the conference room that was booked in outlook like this is the kind of thing that your whole organization has to be hooked into exchange to really use right so this is microsoft saying yeah obviously this makes perfect we sense. need this yeah we're gonna build it for us right. might as well make it a product well if you, if you watch like tv and like um not exactly late night, but when you see weird ads, a lot of those ads are for the these big TVs for collaborative working. Really? Like, when I, see, when I think when we watch sports, there I've seen at least two different companies sell these big drawing board digital... Like Cisco Umi and stuff like that? or Not even. Not even the big okay. company names. But it, it is a boutique market. Um, and Microsoft, who, which has done uh, Microsoft Research, they produce those videos... There's like looking to the future videos. Um, you can see in those videos, everything that they show is a, a project that is being worked on or you know, the, the end point of. And you can see this project. This is one of those projects where because it it's a big display, almost as big as a real person. Uh, if you build Skype into it, you can have almost like telepresence, fixed so, wall telepresence. So, so the really interesting thing about, about this, like... When you go when you go to the Microsoft conference rooms and you sit down, they always had this giant pigtail of like six cables coming out for VGA, HDMI, DVI, dis- dual link DVI, DisplayPort, Mini DisplayPort, Mini HDMI, all the d- different stuff that you need to make sure you can connect any laptop that's in the Windows ecosystem or Macs for that matter to the projection system in the conference room. And it seems like they've built applications that'll run on all the different OSs that are out there, supports Miracast, so you can stream from any Miracast-enabled OS, um, so that anybody who's sitting in the room can put up what's on their screen on the, on the screen. And like that stuff, that sounds super interesting if you spend a lot of time sitting in meetings. I, I, you know, I try to avoid sitting in lots of meetings, but I understand that that's a large part of business in America today, and, and, and you know... 
I saw when I posted about this on Twitter, a lot of people responded. Yeah, I, I, depending on how much this costs, we're going to put this in all of our conference rooms. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it. We used to have to do fairly regular when we were at Future. We used to have to do fairly regular conference calls with folks in the UK. And that was always a holy living nightmare of getting the dumb proprietary thing that we had bought. The company had bought in one conference room, talking to the one in the other in the other country, and then it would drop out and we'd end up just Skyping each other and everybody huddling around the laptop because it was like that. This is a place being the company that glues all the other stuff together is a very viable approach for Microsoft to take and in their position to do it. It's a hard thing to do. Um, and but you know with the stuff that they have and the tools that they have, they should be able to make that happen. I thought it was a neat product. What's I, your price guess? I bet it's ten twenty five grand. I bet it's really fucking expensive. Wow. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Like if you look at what Cisco's Umi, which was just video conferencing, started at, that was that started at like a hundred grand, say three to five years ago. Um, eventually, they ended up selling it for a grand with a six hundred dollar a year plan attached to it. I think that this will be in that same. In that you're a business. Figure it's twenty grand for each conference room, unless you buy ten, and then it's fifteen grand for each conference room. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to put one in here. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that it's not. It's <laughs> outside right of our price us. range. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the big thing that they showed. I mean, okay, so the Windows 10 thing is something that's going to touch all of us in some way, shape, or form. Whether you like it or not, I think it's something to like. It can't be worse than Windows 8. I'm going to get it. Yeah, it's, it's free. free upgrade. Yeah. Um, windows holographic, which was the last, the, they, they're one more thing equivalent. Um, and this is a project that they've been working on seemingly for a really long time. I would guess it started Microsoft research, um, and then graduated, uh, it's actual augmented reality from what they showed. It's a big, yes. big pair of glasses that they call, I think the hollow lens, which is a really unfortunate name, but it wraps around your whole head, uh, like Lobot style whole head wrap around with Back to the future looking glasses in front. Um, from Self-contained computer. Right. Not a tethered. Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi connected. Part of the Microsoft ecosystem, presumably with Cortana and all that stuff. Um, so you have IMUs, you have gyros, you have... You know, I would guess that they have a death cam- depth camera on the There's front. There's definitely sensors, cameras in the front. There's yeah. depth cameras in the front. So you think of like the, uh, the structure 3D scanner where you can map rooms. This will do that or, as well. Or the Kinect. Or the Kinect. Um, and uh, but the display technology is projected uh, onto the screen, onto the visor, the transparent you're, visor. You're wavering out. So of you can see you can see digital assets presented to you in real time, uh, spatially. It, and so Wired had a seemingly a pre-brief and a big feature about it. I didn't. I haven't had time to read the whole Wired feature yet. Um, but it seems like from what they said on stage and the bits that I skimmed through the Wired thing that they're using DLP projectors. And like mirrored lenses of some lenses with a way to project into the lens to present a very high definition, real looking image onto the real world. Um, at least according, so they, there's two phases to this talk. One was a thing where they showed talked over a bunch of pre-rendered pre, pre obviously pre-rendered video demos where they were showing things like a Minecraft world overlaid in a living room where bits of the Minecraft world were on top of tables and chairs and all that stuff. And the, the person wearing the glasses was actually reaching out and interacting with the Minecraft. World. It was like the entire living room was covered in Minecraft. Yes. On all different planes. Right. Or, you know, a wall would look like it was a display look peering into the Minecraft world. He exploded one of his own walls with Minecraft TNT and opened up a portal into the Don't Minecraft try walking universe. into it. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Um, they showed, they talked about JPL. They've been working with JPL who runs the curiosity Rover, uh, curiosity and, and pathfinder and all the other rovers on it's pathfinder or Rover. I don't know. Um, the rovers that are currently on Mars and they use that in, in along with the high resolution 3d imagery that comes out of curiosity. Curiosity is the current mm-hmm. one. It's mm-hmm. odyssey. And what was the spirit? Uh, spirit, spirit, spirit's gone. Yeah. Um, anyway, so data that shows the sphere around the curiosity rover. So people were able to put this on and as it, it seemed as if they were standing in a room that was on Mars. Yeah. So, um, the, in the, in the video presentations, which are on YouTube everywhere, uh, the people working on this project talk about, uh, augmented reality as a way to get past the, uh, the glass display that has been our screen, uh, for so long, whether that's your TV or your desktop. So getting rid of and, windows. Well, this is they, they build it as the future of Windows. So you can put wind, literal, you know, virtual windows like that Minecraft window into another world, into any on any surface in the real world, your wall, right. your table, your desk. And they showed like video conference windows and stuff like that, literally popping up on the wall beside a TV or something. And I think that's not necessarily the best idea to use augmented reality. Um, they did show well, some. Well, what do you think is the best? Idea I think it's, it's think a compliment to. So when you think of augmented reality, which in in the past couple of years, Google Glass is a form of augmented reality. No, use, Google Glass is a heads up display. It's not augmented reality. Okay, augmented reality, for example, through a smartphone, where we we've seen the demos. Bill Gates did this demo in Vegas at CES, where you you know lift up the smartphone because of the accelerometer data, it tells you where the closest Starbucks is, or tells you you know where on the map. And Yelp, the monocle app on Yelp, mm-hmm. and a ton of apps now through the display. Uh, it's meant to orient, you know, impose uh, information onto the real world where you use it. In, in outdoors, like I guess you see a lot of those demos, you know, information about a person that you're talking to hovering above them, that kind of stuff. And I think that is that has a lot of challenges in both the social acceptance and just the, the pure sheer hardware. You mean um, the glasses or like wear, wearing glasses and wearing public? glasses and also the tech, the, the technical limitations of using this in, in outdoor scenarios. I think that augmented reality works can work best when it's a complement to your existing workflow. You're not going to get people to stop using tablets and phones and TVs and computer monitors, and those things are great for their reasons, but you can use augmented reality to enhance the space around that. So I, I can have a 24-inch or 30-inch computer monitor or a laptop I'm, I'm working with on a table, and then wear these glasses and then enhance either information on there to make it 3D or around it and so, it change okay. your workspace. So it's, Okay, so... Which is a lot of what they're showing. That, I mean, but, they showed mostly. In, I think they showed all inside stuff. I don't think we saw any outside well, yeah, stuff they, at all. Yeah, that's right. They showed almost all inside stuff, which I think is the right thing to do. They were they showed inside stuff with with light, bright ambient lighting. It looked like um, the demo that they showed on stage. So they did a live demo. Presumably, I mean, it seemed like a live demo where they had one person. The, the place where AR shines is to give you shared virtual experiences where everyone's perspective is correct in the real world. Right. So the thing that they showed on stage, they showed two things. One was that they showed Terry Myerson uh, standing on a pedestal, doing a little talk that was pr- probably pretty obviously pre-recorded, um, like inside a 3d scanner, if I had to guess. Um, and they had a camera, a shoulder mounted camera on someone's uh, that the camera person was holding. And then the person running the demo was wearing the glasses. Right. So you could actually see what she was seeing, but you were seeing it from the camera's perspective. Um, and the, the person was kind of poorly, uh, laid over the real world where he was standing on a pedestal, but then he kind of drifted off over yeah, time. Q- like that. QR codes. It, 
right? C- kind of like AR QR, AR based QR codes. Yes. Right. So imagine if, if if the three of us were all wearing but they, Hololens but, and we could all see on the same spot collaboratively. You know, the, the, a 3D model yes. over a QR code, and we still had our displays. We yeah. could be didn't seem like they had a QR code on that, but in that bench, right. though, for what it's worth, because that makes it a lot easier. You can do that on a 3DS; mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. The um, the second thing that they showed was a shared workspace environment where she was working on building a 3D model, and this was this was this was the epitome of the bad tech demo tech demo. Um, but she assembled a, a 3D 3D model of a quadcopter. Um, and the camera was looking at it from a different perspective. We could still see the same thing. So conceivably the camera could have walked over right up to the model, looked at it closely, made changes and given you a shared experience where you're working with complex files. Like it, it wasn't, it's not a far stretch from the bad, admittedly bad tech demo to Autodesk 20 versions from now being a thing that Jeremy, you and I load up together and we can walk around and talk about an architectural model as if we were all walking through it. And, and we it was saw life-size. something similar to that. You know, we've seen things with, with uh, the STEM system, you know, people trying 3D modeling in 3D. Well, and CAS and, AR. And, and CAS AR and also um, the, um, the Z-Sense or whatever that um, the HP has one, but the one where you wear the 3D glasses, you have a three, and you have a, um, a stereoscopic well, workspace. This and is a big difference. It, it is a difference. Yeah. But you, I think a big problem with that stuff, and it could be because of the accuracy of the systems, the user interfaces are clunky as hell. Even in their per- perfect idealized demos, we're talking about giant, big, bright orb-like buttons. Or somebody holding their hand out straight out for five minutes while they're, the entire time they're working on this thing. And I, I don't think this is a interactive... I don't think we're going to see in the first few generations practical interactions with that space, physical interactions. I think it's more information, a useful information and shared information um, to be absorbed. Well, he, here's the the thing that's interesting to. So there's two things that were really interesting for me about this. One was that they were overlaying because they weren't trying to project onto the real world. They were overlaying stuff in the real world in a much more seamless way, um, at least in the in the the pre-rendered demos obviously is there eye tracking uh didn't say hmm. they didn't they didn't give very many technical details most eye of tracking what I, would be really useful uh it seems like they were doing hand tracking using the the depth sensor in front of the camera because you imagine okay like the terry myers and hologram mm-hmm. right the, the the talking small person uh which you could also then project Help me forward. Obi-Wan kenobi you're my only hope cortana it's yeah. actually cortana as in the video game yes um which this all seems to be like a digital assistant right so this headset, HoloLens, maps the room. It knows what it thinks surfaces are, you know, the floor, mm-hmm. um, the categorizing desk surfaces. So it knows to p- maybe place a hologram on on a, a desk, what it thinks is a desk. And then if it has eye tracking, which would be really useful, it knows where you're looking. Um, and then it would project that virtual assistant or the virtual person up on the side of so, that part of the table. So that, that the interesting thing to me is this, that they were able to overlay this stuff in the real world, or, or that's what they're claiming to be able to do. Most of the stuff that we've seen up to this point that uses augmented reality is either janky, like the monocle app on Yelp, where it's kind of bounces around and is generally terrible or limited to a specific environment like cast AR, where they're projecting onto a reflective surface because they don't have the lens technology uh, to do that. Uh, the fact that it seems like they're using DLP for the projectors is interesting because it means that stuff looks looks more real um we've seen that with the avagant classes where where you know the dlp projection stuff really benefits from the lack of screen door effect and it looks much higher resolution than it actually is well those those are projecting straight onto your retina 
the, the Avagon stuff, right? Straight yes. onto your retina. Yes. And Whereas this is projecting straight on, is onto on, the screen. Onto a reflective onto the visor. screen. Yeah. So presumably, it's un, they didn't say. It's That's unclear, true. and I'm extrapolating from, uh, from uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call it? From the Wired article, mostly. Um, I think that but, one of the cool things, I mean, this is obviously a very visual uh, interface, uh, and Microsoft has, a, has an opportunity to present its services visually in a way that Google and Apple are limited by the desktop on the, and, and the phone and the tablet. And so uh, I, I think that something like a Cortana being Google Now or Siri, but having a visual connection to the user, uh, I think that's really powerful and that's something that we shouldn't underestimate. The pre-rendered demos were absolutely amazing. And I was kind of surprised that you would show this kind of thing so late in a talk because this was this is the kind of thing that might actually change the world, change the way that people interact with technology. But when they went to the live demo, it became clear why they showed it so late, which is that they can't do what they showed in those live in those not live demos. With, the, with the device they have. I mean, presumably not with the device they have right now. Yeah, but um, I, I doesn't if that's where they are right now, we're not going to see the shipping device, which. I guess it's going to be this year. So the big questions for me are how much of your field of view is, is does, can the, can they project into like how yeah. can they put, can they do the thing that they showed where Minecraft is over the whole world? Or are you going to get a square inside your field of view? That's, that's where the virtual world the gra- is. The glasses look pretty humongous. It seems, looks like it's pretty wide field of view. My concern is more, can they actually do a 3d scan of the environment and map objects onto the environment that quickly and in real time? You, we have, without, we have stuff us, that you can do that feed, but without, but that's not smart. Like the stuff you can map. Yes, you can map the environment, but the parsing of that environment, the occipital guys have demos that let you put put virtual objects into the real environment using 3d mapping on but the you iPad. put that object it's not doing it automatically well no the, it interacts with the object so you there's a fake ball that a fake dog chases on the floor or you can i think they even had one there's a real pink ball mm-hmm. that, that a virtual dog will chase if you throw it like I mean, that that stuff works it's it was can, but can rough. i can i sit and work on my motorcycle and have a, a little window down there with a guy who reaches in and shows me which way to turn the screw well so the demo that they gave of the woman doing the plumbing work with somebody on the other end yeah. watching what she was doing and telling her what to do was was like that stuff feels not feasible for a multitude of reasons first off i can't imagine wearing those glasses all day as big as they are they were like you said humongous they wrap around your entire well, just head from a technical standpoint I'm sure that that will cut the, the weight will come down. The book will come I, down. I think over time, I think, I think that's one of the more likely demos that you wouldn't be able to technically do. Do what? Where the, if you were wearing HoloLens and you looked at something, you know, pipes or something, but mm, nobody's plumbing right? stuff is actually that open. Is your, no, no, is no, your, no, but, but the demo was someone on the other end looking at the same image on their surface and drawing. Right. And then what they drew was imposed on what you see. But how do they it's draw the same video? In, how do they draw in Z space? Well, they were, they were drawn in two D, and then that gets that, that gets transferred three. Yeah, but how, do, how does the how do you know how does the system know it where puts to put it in that? the same so place in it. relation to where your so head is? I assume, maybe I only know. a two D drawing, it's maybe a, only arrows. It's best not to think about it too yeah, much. Maybe Jim, not actual tech demo. <laughs> but and, the and, Minecraft thing. I mean, is that going to be possible? I. I mean, that, say, he said Minecraft. That's an extraordinary. Explicitly said Minecraft. Yes, and I believe it. We'll yeah. see and they that. Showed it. We'll see that on a single plane, probably. Yeah. No, no doubt. I, I and they were supposed to be able to play that today. And I'll be very surprised if if you can move your environment around and change your environment at a chair, move a table, and have that game today. Maybe even this year 
function the way that it did in that pre-rendered video. And my skepticism is absolutely in the, the when you say change the, that space and change that game and interact with it. I think AR as a way to display information, but once you put your hands in there and once there has to be accuracy in, in actually manipulating the, the hologram, uh, then I think we run into a lot of problems. I think you're making a lot of assumptions on something that we haven't actually seen in person. Like I, I'm, I, I don't think they know at this point, Microsoft has to know better after the skateboard debacle with the connect. Look, you can scan your skateboard into the connect, by the way, same guy. The, he, the guy who did the demo for the holograph stuff was the scan your skateboard in with the connect guy. Um, I think that they have to know if they're going to show what they showed in that pre-release pre-release stuff the pre-rendered stuff they have to actually have a way to do that great well the good thing is that that means when they said by the end of this year when they they don't follow through you're going to be even more disappointed than i am because i'm being skeptical and you you're a believer i'm an optimist (laughs) um i yeah i think i think what do you think the price is going to be I don't care. We'll find out. If it, <laughs> if it, I mean, of course, it if matters. it does what it what they did in that pre-rendered yeah, stuff, it's not going to matter. Take my money. Yeah, I'll buy that instead of a laptop. I can use a two-year-old Absolutely laptop. Absolutely no way. That and that it's a fun. The fundamental problem is I don't think this is a replacement. This should not be. I don't think AR should be designed as a replacement for Look, the laptop, for the phone, for I'm the tablet. Go ahead and tell you anything AR or VR that you buy in a first. Whether you're talking about Oculus or Samsung Gear or what or this uh, Windows holographic, which just to be clear, we haven't talked about that. It's a stupid fucking name because this is, these are not holograms. Thank you for clarifying that. Right. Yeah. They're, that that bugged me. It's, it is, this is augmented reality. I think they feel like that's probably something people can't understand. So they're calling it holograms. Yeah. He must have said hologram 85 or 90 times during that t- 10 minute demo. And it is holograms are 3d images. This is a 3d image, but it's, it's binocular. It's augmented reality. <laughs> it is not holograms. It's like a 3d TV. Why? What? Those aren't holograms either. Those aren't holograms either. It's, right. three, it's, it's exactly the same as 3D TV, what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. All they're, they're, They've reappropriated a name that actually has meaning instead of making up a new bullshit name. Anyway, um, anything you buy that's VR, AR, stupid holograms, any of that stuff is going to be, for the first five years it's out, people are going to be figuring out how it works and how to use it. You're buying beta products, so that's why I say it doesn't matter Virtual what it reality, costs. nope, it'll matter this year. I okay. You anyway, know, game devs are going to have a real leg up in the, with this tech, though, and they're going to be able to develop. I, th- I think games are going to be the first apps we see for it. Yeah, so. sure. But anybody who wants to make an augmented reality app, not necessarily even a game, they're going to be hiring game developers to do that. Well, so so the interesting thing that he said during this demo is that all universal apps will will be able to draw canvases on using the the Hololens. Mm. So if you have a Windows Universal app and you've built it for phones, PC, whatever. It'll just you you seems like it will be an easy transition to make it work with the with the glasses. So I, I don't know. I'm interested. I really want to try it out. I'm hoping they'll bring it to GDC um, next month. It builds in April. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Um, I guess that's it for the Microsoft stuff. They, they, was there anything else out of the Q and was in the car by the time they were doing that. Um, it seemed like the big thing was that the, there's not going to be a subscription pricing, or they didn't they didn't actively say that no, there's no subscription pricing model. They said they're not changing the biz model for Windows. So, which is actually kind of untrue because if they're not charging for upgrades and they're already changing the bismol, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, this week, Google or late last week, I guess Google killed the glass Explorer program. So 
It's oh. funny that we're talking about augmented reality and glasses and things that make people hate you. Um, they did make a point in the Windows thing to say that there's no camera camera on this. It's depth camera only. Or they didn't say depth camera only, but they did say there was no camera. Yeah. Um, so Google posted a, a blog post last week, a Google Plus post, which is fitting, uh, that basically explained that they're killing the Glass Explorer program, which was how you got early access to Project Glass. That's how you you had to apply for a long time to get into the Google Glass program. And then they let anyone in. And then they let anyone in for a while. Sorry for anyone who bought it a if, month ago. If you bought it for $1,500 a month ago, you're probably still in the 30-day return cycle. So, What did the price go down to? $1,500. It went down to $1,500? No, it was already 50 It never went down. Oh, okay. Always $1,500. Um, so, Suckers. So the... Tone, that was not very nice, Norm. Uh, basically, the the tone of the post said uh, Google is graduating from Google X, which is their research. To, to Google X. No, well, from. Glasses. Oh, it's, oh, you're right. Glasses you're graduating right. from Google X. Um, Google X is their kind of moonshot crazy idea division, which is where things like the self-driving car and the Project Loon uh, internet balloons came from. Um, it's going to roll under Tony Fidel's group or under Tony Fidel's care with much of the team that ran under, under Google X. Um, and they basically said interest in wearables has exploded. We want to make this a real thing. So we're going to take it out of project out of Google X and uh, focus on what's coming next. Uh, if you if you're listening to this now, it's too late to buy them. That was on January 19th that ended. Um, they're leaving the forms and all the old stuff open so that people who have bought glass can continue to communicate with each other presumably no software updates for glass explorer edition from this point forward um and they're if you bought glass then they're going to support the hardware under the terms of the initial warranty which probably has expired for most of the people who bought glass already um so the post was real rosy and like hey things are great we're doing awesome but at the same time the other side of it is that support from developers has waned um google's kind of slowed the pace of updates and stuff like that to glass over the last several months um, and it seems, they were it seems like a real mixed message, right? I mean, the, the, the promise of glass other than the camera on it was this ambient information, which you're getting from your smart hardware or pebble or whatever yeah. else. Yeah. Um, and they've actually removed some functionality. So I wrote a thing about it. It's on the site. You can find it. Um, I think that they've kind of fucked up. I think that the way they rolled out glass by charging $1,500 for it and, by making it an exclusive community and making people apply and making it an elite thing um, kind of tainted helped help contribute to the tainted public perception of glass, which is, which is how contribute to something that was maybe already going to happen regardless. I, I think it almost ensured that it was going to happen, but yes. Um, if it was going to be a good product, I think that chart, you know, high barrier to entry for something that potentially is going to be great and change the world is not a bad strategy. It's just, that I think that they underestimated well, the resistance. So there's two, there's two, there's really two worlds for glass too. There's the consumer world where it's just some dude walking around CES or, or the airport or whatever, taking pictures of everything he wants. And then there's the, the applications, which they had a glass at work program where if you were working in a hospital or in medical stuff or in firefighting, built firefighting software, you could apply for that. And then, and then at that point, give, people that may need ambient info access to information in a hands-free way access to that stuff, which is like when you look at the stuff that came out of that is, is even coming out of that still, I think that's going to continue. 
Um, and it's really interesting. Like Good. the, 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 like imagine if you're a firefighter, you're going through a building and all of a sudden you're I've seen those Verizon commercials. Those yeah. products have existed and glass is a, is a lightweight, more elegant version of that, that, you know, you use for a very specific amount of time. You don't need to have it on all day. Right. And if that's the future of glass and that's what it ends up being, then that's fantastic. Um, but glass wasn't augmented reality. It was, it was a pebble on a pair of glasses basically. Maybe maybe an Android Wear watch on a pair of glasses, um, and they even removed functionality from it over the last year or so. So it's uh, you know farewell, Godspeed. I think the glass. biggest problem with glasses is is that it didn't fulfill any kind of promise of augmented reality, which is what it was marketed as. A lot of people thought it was going to be able to project anything you wanted in front of you. So that first video, like they never showed augmented reality stuff. They showed it. directions, which is a form of augmented reality. But they didn't show it overlaying. They didn't show like a, a line overlaying the sidewalk. They well, showed directions in the top right corner. But a different degree of augmented. They didn't do a good enough job illustrating what it would do because there were a lot, there was a lot of confusion. And then it it had this camera that was pointed at anybody that you ever spoke to when and, you were wearing it. And I feel like that that changed the social dynamic so drastically that the payoff it having whatever augmented reality that you had which was a little screen in the corner wasn't worth that trade-off but uh, at the same time they weren't using the camera for augmented reality stuff no i understand right like they, they I get it, but but if you're talking to me and there's a camera pointed at me oh it, yeah everything's different well it's the same as me doing this to you and you're going to behave differently precisely, when i do that precisely the 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 thing that they they made two mistakes and uh, on that front, they they should have put an indicator light on the front of the camera to let people know when it was active. Yeah, it's foolish that they didn't do that. Um, and they or or <laughs> or here's I'm aiming at Norm. Um, or they should have put a, a door, a thing you could just flip closed so that mm. the camera's covered. Mm. I understand why they wouldn't because if you are talking about something that is eventually going to morph into an augmented reality device, the ability to turn off the camera or or to have to show when the camera's on all the time makes that much less useful as an augmented reality device. But at the same time, people were really freaked RGB out. RGB LED, it. blue means passive data gathering, red means um, recording. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, glass is dead. It's going to continue. Tony Fidel, the guy who invented the iPod scroll wheel and the Nest, is work is is in charge of it now. Um, I'm interested to see what they do next. I think they have to call it something else, well, and they uh, have to come up with a, a much less obtrusive like, device, like Hololens, which again the demo mostly showed indoor stuff. If glass pivots into a device that you only wear in the home and works with, for example, Nest products and smart home things, why do you insist on only in the home? I think that socially it's more acceptable. Day-to-day use, it's yeah. maybe something that's more functional and practical. But eventually, don't you agree we're heading outside with these things? Eventually, maybe, but you start with the, you start with the social acceptance, so, getting people accustomed to UI, yeah. accustomed to reading this app interface in the home. But, I mean, the thing that was most useful about Glass was when you're in an unfamiliar circumstance. When you're out, when we're in a city that we're not familiar with, and you needed directions, you could tap the thing and say, "Hey, how do I well, get to there?" The, the phone and it gives you directions, right? But it didn't supplant the. It didn't wasn't any more useful than looking at your phone. I think it's much less dangerous to glance up and to the right and get a vocal notification directly in your ear than to be driving with your phone when you're trying to do turn by turn directions and stuff like that. I'm curious to see what Tony. Fidel is it Fidel? Fidel? I, I'm curious to see what he does because he makes very stylish devices. Yeah. And, and if it was a driving, that's something that you just put in the car. I and mean, and now that we we're have, talking about a, a rear view mirror enhancement that with, solves that problem with Microsoft's new announcement. I feel like it can only be full field of view or uh, augmented reality. Driving, walking, biking, Norm. I mean, it's I don't have a augmented reality thing in my car in my bicycle. It's very niche product. I don't know. Maybe niche use case. Um. 
so yeah, that's that's glass rip glass. I a lot of people really hated you. A smaller number of people liked you a lot. Yeah, probably the last time we'll talk about this for a while. <laughs> all um, those, all that, all that, those barges. Those barges were the Google Glass rollout induction centers. Wow. If you complain too much about glass on Google products, then they uh, they you, they took you there until you loved glass. Do you agree we're all going to be wearing these things eventually? I, I think that we'll be wearing something. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that necessarily it's going to be the same thing, the same thing that we wear for every um, context or situation. Uh, augmented reality glasses. I or mean. or we- some type of wearable. Yeah. I think you wear a watch for some things. You wear... You use like, like you use a desktop and laptop and your TV differently. I think I think a, augmented a reality glasses will be as prevalent as phones. I, I think I just don't know when. I, I mean, here's the thing: is if you could get that kind of display in a pair of contact lenses, everyone would wear it right now, mm. right? Like you wouldn't. There would be no hesitation. Yeah. Um, you got to watch Black Mirror, Jeremy. I will. It's, it's now all that you about told me stuff. about it. You, I, you should read Freedom TM, Norm. I didn't hadn't heard of it. That's the yeah. Daniel Suarez. Thing. Yeah, it's his oh, second book. Out. Second book from the Demon series. Um, so, if like if you look at look at those glasses that we saw at, uh, from Sony at CES, that clip on thing, uh, they had a clip on heads up display type thing, so very similar to what glass ended up being. So, tiny in comparison, both the crystal that sits in front of your field of view was tiny and rode closer to you, and the thing that hooks onto the side of your glasses was much much smaller. Um, it was just a prototype. There's a video of it on the site now if you want to check it out. But it's it's you know that stuff is. Um, like the technology to make that less obtrusive is getting better. The social stuff we have to work out. I think people, I think you're right though. People wouldn't have been anywhere near as pissed off if there hadn't been a camera. And given the quality of the camera that was even on the second rev of the glass Explorer edition, there was no reason to put a camera on there. The pictures you were taking with it weren't worth saving for the most part. Hmm. Um, it was a really crazy wide angle lens. Um, and it, it wasn't a particularly good, like compared to even a phone camera, an iPhone camera from two generations before it was bad. Hmm. Um, so yeah, like they didn't know what that thing was. They put it out and they see what people use it for. And, and I guess we'll go from there. Um, you saw the NVIDIA GeForce 960 this morning. This is the, this is a new mid range GPU, right? This is, uh, being launched this morning. NVIDIA's they rolled up 980 last year, 970. And this is probably the one that most people, most people use their 60 series cards, whether it's a 660 or a 760 or 560 even. Um, and it's $200 card that, uh, I think it's going to sell pretty well. That sounds like a great price. $200 cards, Maxwell, low power, 120 watt. Um, you, they demo, you know, League of Legends and all. It's, it's a MOBA game. If, you're, if you play MOBAs and that's all you play, then this is a card that's not going to be too expensive. You can overclock it um, and uh, you don't need to spend $500. It's not going to be a card that I think you would want to buy if you plan on getting uh, an Oculus, though, at the end of the year. I wonder what it compares to. Did they talk about what, what older card this compares to? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's people who have the 660, this is their natural upgrade. They know people in that market, whether you're, uh, in a, you know, internet cafe in China or you're a college gamer here, you usually buy every two years. Yeah. I just want, is this more like a 780 comparison though? Oh, you mean in terms of like how this, how much horsepower, yeah. horsepower, I think overclocked. Yeah. Overclocked. I would say it's, I mean, it's, it's tough to say for games. They really talked about their, their features, which I think that, you know, engine dependent. Right. Um, Disney showed a robot that makes patterns on beaches. This seems like the kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> this seems like the kind of thing that, like, if you have, say, 
a giant resort in an area with lots of fake sand beaches in say, central Florida. Mm. Yeah. Or you're on a boat mm-hmm. and you want to say, welcome Disney cruise visitors on your private Island in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. This would be a great, fantastic great you, thing to have. I'd say you need one of these. You need, yeah. It's, it's the, right now they're paying a small team of people to go out and do that every day. <laughs> so now all those people, I think it's the first step. I mean, uh, we don't see robots moving robots in public. Um, and this is a gateway to that. You become more comfortable in controlled environments yeah. like but what if, Disneyland it, and resorts. They come out of the ocean first, onto the beaches. <laughs> I don't think they come what, out of it. What about, they do not come out of the ocean. What about the people who raked those patterns into the sand before, Norm? Those were trained no artisans. One, no one actually did the patterns. What, the who's next? The ice sculptors? Possibly. We're going to yes. have some chainsaw-wielding yeah. robots? That's a great idea. It's like the fifth element. It's like that robot who comes out and creates order out of chaos. You knock the glass Which off robot? the table, and then the robot comes out and cleans the glass. You have to create destruction for there to be order. So work industries. I just don't take my ice sculptures away. We didn't talk about the ice sculptures at uh, CES this year, but there were some crazy fucking ice sculptures at that Pepcom event on Monday night. I only saw the one. There was a, it's like an eight foot tall Lenovo ice Jesus. sculpture. It looked like a bar. It was a bar made of ice that had Lenovo. Could you pour liquid through it? I don't know. Luge. Hmm. That, that's a thing people do, right? That is absolutely like a, a thing, thing people, people do at bars. Oh, that's what it's called? A luge. Like yeah. a luge. So it cools your beverage for you without putting too much water in, theoretically. I like a few things do sheer. Oh, Ice luge. I, never mind. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steven Soderbergh released a recut version of 2001. Did you watch the, I watched the first maybe 40 minutes of this the other I, night. I didn't have 110 minutes to spare. What? Um, what? So what kind of audacity he, is that? He is retired from filmmaking and has gone crazy, apparently. <laughs> Um, but he, re- he, so he did a, a cut of Raiders of the Lost Ark that he basically just turned it black and white and took out all the, the audio. So it's only score to just show here are the things that they wanted you to be looking at. It was an interesting filmmaking exercise, right? Here's the stuff that, that uh, Spielberg wanted you to look at when you were watching Raiders, which I thought was, it was really fascinating. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched scenes, favorite scenes. Um, the 2001 cut he changed the structure of the film fairly dramatically and started introducing just as a sanity check here in the Kubrick version of in the, in the real version of 2001, there aren't Howl 9,000 doesn't make an appearance until the, the discovery until they're on the ship. The third act, the third section of the movie. Like you don't see him until they're on the spaceship heading to Jupiter. Right. I thought that there was an office scene where you do see him. Oh, you're right. When you're t- yeah, there's, he's like in the background. Yeah. It's, but I think that's Sal. I think that's not how. Oh, okay. I think Sal is the, is the other in the moon sequence. Yes. The best sequence of the movie. My favorite sequence of the movie. So in this, every time you see the monolith, there's like a shock cut to a HAL 9000 faceplate and then it goes away. You just keep seeing him pop up when the apes are looking at him, when they see him on the, when the light hits the monolith on the moon, et cetera, like et cetera. It was, it's a little weird a little on the nose. They took out, they took out the, well, so anyway, I'll get to that in a minute. They took out the sequence with the Pan Am's flight attendant oh, walking favorite. around what? the circle. My yeah. Cut that. And the phone call, the phone call's gone. The original iPad. It's much, it's much, that first act is much faster, which appeals to me as a modern film viewer. Right. Um, What's the point of the edit? If, if his Indiana Jones had the point of, you know, uh, educating you on what Spielberg wanted you to see. I think he wanted to cut 
2001. <laughs> okay. I mean, he has, not, he has his own inclinations as an editor and as a director. And it's, it's, you're right. What, the point is weird because the, his source material is the original 180 minutes or 150 minutes or whatever it was yeah. of footage. There's not like he has more to work with and he's adding deleted stuff in. He's just condensing and rearranging. So um, do you want to read what he said in the blog post that went with it? Uh, I would just direct people to the blog posts. It's, it has a really long URL. He, I'll just read the first paragraph. Um, he says, sometimes you have to cross the line to know where the line is. Just ask any two-year-old. So clearly he knows he's doing something controversial here. Um, maybe this is what happens when you spend too much time with a movie. You start thinking about it when it's not around, and then you start wanting to touch it. I've been watching 2001 A Space Odyssey regularly for four decades, but it wasn't until a few years ago when I started thinking about touching it. And then over the holidays, I decided to make my move. Why now? I don't know. Maybe I wasn't old enough to touch it now. Maybe I was too scared to touch it until now. Maybe not only do, because not only does the film not need my or anyone's help, but it is not the most impressively imagined but if it's not the most impressively imagined sustained piece of visual art created in the 20th century, then it's tied for first. Um, if I was going to touch it, it had better have a bigger idea than just trimming or rescoring. So I haven't watched the whole thing. Mm. My thought is that the takeaway is that he's, he's saying that Hal eventually evolves to be the monoliths and the aliens that then go back in time to, to you know, send the monolith back in time to teach the aliens um, teach the, sends the monolith tools. back in time. Maybe he doesn't send it back in time, but, right. but, the monolith evolves from Hal. Hal evolves from the monolith, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if that's where it goes. That's what I was feeling 40 minutes into the thing. Super interesting. It's still up as far as I know. So it's worth, it's worth taking a look at. Oh, and they pulled it already. The movie? Yeah, the movie's gone. I would think so. Yeah. Well, the Raiders cut is still there. I wonder if I uh, recut Ocean's Eleven, how fast that'll be taken down. He doesn't own Ocean's Eleven, so. 20th Century Fox then. owns. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd have eight minutes, probably. Um, anyway, I thought it was an interesting exercise. If you can, I'm sure you can find it all over the place because uh, it was just an HTML5 embed. Not that I'm saying I know anything about that. It's out there if you want to <laughs> see, see that's it. that's what I don't want to see. I did want to see Tobey Maguire's Star Wars edit. Oh, I'd love to see uh, that. Toe for Grace. Toe for Grace. Thank you. It was, yeah, sorry. I got the toe right. Yeah. One was Venom, one was Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, wow. A lifetime yeah. ago. An entire universe ago. Um, the Falcon 9, hard first stage, hard landing. We talked about last week when they tried to learn the land the first stage of the rocket, you know, the first one that falls off as it's going to space on a barge off the coast of Florida. Um, they, uh, John Carmack and Elon Musk were talking on Twitter one night, and Musk was like, you know, we have these pictures of this laying around. We should probably release them. They're pretty cool. Um, and then he shared them on Twitter with Carmack, and then immediately the next morning there was a vine of the crash landing. Oh um, he called it a rapid, uh, unassembly. What did he call it? He called it an RUD. <laughs> That's funny. A rapid, unexplosive. I don't know. Anyway, it was funny. It didn't, was, didn't stop them from getting a billion dollar of investment. Oh yeah. That's not on the list. Is it from Google, right? From Google yeah. and, uh, investment firm. So here's an interesting thing. My parents are staying down in Cocoa beach right now and they were there watching local news when uh the spacex thing when it crashed and the dad said that the tone of the local news in coco beach which is where cape canaveral is is mocks them regularly no yes he said he said that the because it's a nasa town here's these here's, rocket hobbyists who look, are at, look at these farting around look at these chodes oh my oh, god they can't even land on a barge <laughs> um oh i kind of want to dig up some local news coverage this is all third hand from my dad 
not the best judge of character, but it's archived on archive.org to send you all the TV stuff now. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, Lightroom Mobile came out for Android earlier. No, can can this we week. talk about oh, the, yeah, the yeah. Google? Uh, I think yeah. that's really interesting. So mm-hmm. last billion dollars last year, Elon Musk said that he wanted to give the world the internet by um, shooting up 700 satellites into outer space. And Google came on board this week and said that... The, oh, that, that's what they came on board for? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, for a billion dollars. And so that's, they wanted to make this, each of these 700 satellites for under a million dollars each and have them each weigh 250 pounds, which wow. by today's standards, both of those are very hard to do. Yeah. But I guess they're, they found a way or they're going to find a way. If I'm, anybody can. Progress. I'm yeah. curious how these, if it's a two, it can't be a two-way connection. What is even the downstream connection? So here's, here's the, as I understand it, that satellite, the satellite plan is a low earth orbit plan, not a geosynchronous orbit. So the latency problems that you have with existing like Hughes satellite internet, because it has to go such a phenomenally, geosynchronous orbit is really far away. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to look it up right now, but it's a significant like it takes a significant amount of time, mm. I think on the order of uh, 250 milliseconds for the radio signal to go to space to the geosynchronous orbit and then bounce back. And then you have all the normal latency of the internet on top of that. So that's why satellite internet was kind of janky. Um, the, this stuff is supposed to be low orbit, so it's much closer. So a couple of hundred miles, 150, 200 miles, um, more aligned with like the GPS satellite constellation and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so the latency is going to be a lot, a lot less. Yeah, but how do I get a signal that far? What do I? What? what I'm sure you have a dish. Is that what I have? Trans, my, I mean, you could even be, you know, those. Um, I thought dishes were only downstream. No, you can do upstream. On I dishes. didn't know that. Okay, but if they're low Earth orbit, they're not going to be in the same place. So it has to be more ambient than that, like mm. cell phone, like a cell phone thing. So you have a, a maybe say, uh, imagine you, you know the transmitters that you put on your building if you have wireless. High wireless broadband. You know, it's mm-hmm. a microwave transceiver that's like looks like about the size of half of a, a pizza box, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you hang that on the outside of your building. I would assume with this, you just aim it up at the sky. Uh, and if you look at what they can do with with high power with it, receivers, um, seven hundred doesn't sound like a lot. Seven hundred million. Seven hundred satellites. satellites. You can get a lot of coverage. coverage. I mean, I think that there's only fifty GPS satellites. Or you don't like need that. to cover the oceans. It's true. It's true. But if they're in low earth orbit, they're going to be constantly circling. So they don't stay in one place. So you do, you'll end up covering the entire planet. Can you not log awesome. to the earth's rotation? Not at that, not at that, not at that altitude. You have to get really far away to be huh. rotating at the same speed without flying off into space. Huh. Um, that's why there's 18 sunrises on the ISS a day. Cause the ISS is rotating at a different speed than the, so that's a low earth orbit. Or- that's mm-hmm. a low earth orbit. Um, I'm looking to see how many GPS satellites there are. Cause that's the, that's the comparable comparable thing. Uh, there are 24. The baseline is 24 position in six earth centered orbital planes with four operation satellites and a spare satellite slot in each orbital plane. Uh, the system can support a constellation of up to 30 satellites in orbit. So yeah. So there's not that many, there's not that many GPS satellites. Really? This is a shitload. Yeah, but to get a GPS lock, you need three satellites. It's really and six it's a, it's plus. A, but it, and it's, there's nothing to the signal. This is yeah. the internet we're talking about. Right. This is going both ways too, which is, and which is ways. different. So I, I don't like, there's a lot we don't know about how this works. Um, I don't, I can't, Im- I have to imagine it's gonna be something bigger than a phone. Like you'll have a base station yeah. that you then have a Wi-Fi hot point, hotspot that comes out from. But I mean, if you think about having low cost internet in places right now that you don't have any internet at all or slow 3g cellular mm-hmm. or something worse, 
I mean, that's, that's super cool. The fact that it's a two way connection is makes a world of difference to me. Cause I, as I said, I thought it was yeah. just one way. Well, it may be, it may also be that, well, if it's internet, it has to be two way. Cause you have to be able to send your request up to get data back. Down. I know at one point, some of the satellite connections required you to dial in. And then that's how you would send yes. your upstream as you get your downstream through the satellite. So the current gen, so my parents had satellite at home as recently as three years ago. Um, and it was, it was two way to the satellite. You can send cool. from the dish. Yeah. It was terrible. It was really phenomenally bad. Network the planet. Um, mainly because of bandwidth limits. So they were not, it was, it was set up for like the, the contract that they had was designed for a time when the internet, when web pages were small mm. uh, and, and it didn't like always connected stuff. So like a Twitter client or an aim, a message, iMessage client or aim or something like that being connected ate into their monthly allotment. And in a, even though it was a tiny amount of data going back, just beat the act of being connected all the time yep. eventually got them throttled to the point that it was useful, useless. Jeez. Um, I mean, they have hundred megabit fiber to their house now, so don't weep for them. It's, it's much better. <laughs> um, it's interesting too, because Google had their own aspirations of bringing in the internet to the world with their loon program, which, which they're, which they're rolling out already mentioned. Yeah. Compliment that. Yeah. But yeah. it's just, here comes Elon Musk with his, a billion dollar plan and uh, they're right on board. Well, and it may be that this is more of a, of a, like, um, what was the Wi-Fi wide area Wi-Fi stuff called? Yeah. It's supposed to broadcast to the city, right? Like, yeah, but that was more of a, that wasn't a, that wasn't a, that was an intermediary thing too, right? That was one big tower broadcasting yeah. to those microwave nodes. And then you dole out on a local area to Wi-Fi. So you don't have like whatever that was called built into your phone. You have it, you connect to an access point. It's like Bruce Wayne putting sonar on all his phones in Dark Knight. It's what everybody needs. That's right. Bat vision. It's just like building a utility just for crime fighting purposes. Monitoring <laughs> the world. Um, the other thing that uh, Elon Musk announced last week that was interesting was the Hyperloop. They're going to build a test track in Texas. He announced it at an event in Texas last week. Um, Hyperloop. Yeah. Hyperloop, if you don't remember, is the high-speed, concept, conceptual high-speed people mover from San Francisco to Los Angeles in 30 minutes using a partially vacuum, partial vacuum in a tube. You get into a another Batman invention, right? Like, the remember the people mover in one of the Schumacher Batmans where he goes from Wayne Manor to his office in a, in a high-speed tube? I think that was a slide. No, 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 no. It wasn't a slide. It was a, it was a pneumatic tube. It was a pneumatic tube. Right. It's hyperloop is basically that thing that used to be at banks to send checks to the, I like those. to the teller and, but that and you can libraries. Ride. Yeah. Libraries, uh, government buildings. Terry Gilliam embraced those pneumatic tubes very well. Send, New York had a whole system of them. Yeah. Send cats through them. Really? You could send a cat. You could send a cat. Sounds like a, that'd be awful for the cats. Uh, not to be deterred. The train that Elon Musk was responding to the yes. very expensive slow train that we actually came up with. Uh, they actually broke ground on that a couple weeks ago. Really? Yeah. So theoretically, by the time I die, yes, I should be able to take a train from San Francisco to LA. That's right. Great. Fantastic. Two hour trip. I forget. Four, I thought, yeah, it's, it's reasonable. It's, it's, be- a, it's better than going to the airport and going through security and all that. I don't, you know, I have TSA pre, I don't know that that's true. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're right. You're right. Some, I paid, some, some people don't, uh, don't like flying by plane. <laughs> You gotta wait. You, you like might be. You might know, be I'm saying John Madden. Oh, this, this John Madden doesn't John work Madden. anymore. A train would be beautiful. A nice coastal. I like a train ride. Train ride would be have great. You, have you ever taken the ride from L.A. It's to San not Diego? Not coastal. No, it's inland. It's got to be a little coastal. It's got to be through the cheap parts of the country. I can see the, the, the ocean no. at some point, right? It's it's all marshes. They can't <laughs> afford that cu- that country. They can't afford that. They got to buy this. They could stuff. barely afford the, these. It's already billions of dollars. 
I can see the ocean from the plane just fine. Yep. Um, Lightroom Mobile came out for Android. That's right. How is it? Is it the same as iOS version? Same as iOS phone only. Okay. No tablet. That makes sense given the tablet ecosystem on Android right no. now. No, no, it doesn't. It makes no sense. It should be tablet first, then phone. Except for people have phones and people don't have tablets. The restriction is arbitrary. That's that's fair, especially on Android. Um, hey, I discovered you can install Android on the Banana Pie. Do you know what's about a that? Banana Pie? It's a Raspberry Pie that's uh, souped up. It's got eat. It, well, it, it has a uh, like overclock. Has a up? SATA uh, port on it. It has tons of RAM and uh, some other cool things. It can act as a USB device. And uh, you can install Android on it. It is a distribution. You just install it, and there you've got like Android running on whatever you want. Pretty cool. That is super cool. Um, what was the next thing? Uh, the Apple Watch. There were Apple Watch leaks this week, or just a couple weeks ago. We didn't talk about it last no, we week, didn't. did we? No. Yeah. So uh, SDK stuff. They they updated the Apple Kit. Is that Watch Kit SDK? And a lot of stuff came out as a result of that. And then there were also some leaks about what the Apple Watch app control app looks like. Um, did, I didn't. I, I kind of glanced at that because it was moderately interesting. Did you see anything that was worth talking about there, Jeremy? No, that's why I didn't bring yeah, it up last that, week. I was just just wanted to make sure people asked about it last week. So. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was news, so just very little that's of any interest. Uh, it seems like it's coming out in the next sixty days. Yeah, because they said Q one, so. We have two more months of, of Q1. Wow. Yep. Sign me up. I, you know, I, I want one so badly. I almost, I tried to get one of those. Oh, the, the ripoffs? The no, knockoffs? No. Oh, that would be great for like $27. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd buy one of those. But I wish, if I had known that they were at CES selling them on the floor, I would have gone back and bought one. They, of course you would have known. They saved, so they released their story until, af, until no one could buy one. No, the $150 Withings uh, smartwatch. Oh, the... Uh, 150. 150. Activite? Uh, activite. Activite. Pop. pop. Yes. A pop. Yes. It's, it's cool. It's a standard analog watch. It's like no it. display, but you can tap the, the glass and it, it like does smartphone... Fun- or, I'm sorry. Um, smartwatch functions. And well, there are two analog dials. Fitness, fitness stuff. One for time and one for your step progression. Yeah, right. Which I like. Yeah. I thought that was good. Dial. It's a good looking watch. Yeah, I, I looked at it at CES. It looked, it looked really cool. Um... Voxel, this is the last thing. Uh, there, there's a story on Tech Meme or Mashable about a 3D printer called the Voxelate that lets you embed circuitry in the print. This is it, man. This is the thing you've been waiting for. I'm telling you, this is going to change 3D printing. So they're using silver because it has appropriate characteristics. Conductivity, it doesn't tarnish immediately, stuff like that. Um, the copper, when you apparently, when they tried copper, it immediately oxidized when they laid the, laid it down in the tracks, but they were printing, they printed things like a 3d, uh, 3d printed quadcopter that had a, uh, had the circuitry to connect motors and stuff built into the frame. Looks super cool. I mean, the fact that you can actually embed circuitry at all is going to change the way that people use 3d printers because if I can, cause you'll be able to do things you can't otherwise do Like you don't have to have exposable areas where your circuitry is running. You can actually embed it inside of plastic. That's, you know, completely encased. You'll be able to sell these things and wire them up to batteries and motors, or put and, your own motors and stuff in. Yeah. It's really cool. This one in particular early days. Again, this is like AR stuff where right. in 10 years we're going to laugh at this. Exactly. But right now, it's it's a, f- a way to taste the future. Definitely. That's the same as AR and, and VR, for that matter. Um, I think that's it for news, unless you guys have anything else. Uh, I'm going to play some music, and we'll talk about what we've been testing. Uh, 
Norman Chan, mm-hmm. in your left and right hands, you're holding what looks like a tiny, almost bezel-less Dell tablet. It's fantastic. You like it? I love it. That's the thinnest tablet I've ever seen. Yeah. I like that it's square. It, Rectangular. It stands up on its own, with, but you have to fidget with it. It's a Dell Venue 8 7000. That's a terrible name. Yes. Uh, it's Venue 8 7000. 7, That's right. It's Android eight tablet. 8.4 inches, okay. 2560 by 1600 uh, OLED screen, and Man. has very thin bezels around three of its sides. How do, how do you... So looking at this, I like that you can kind of hold it by the, with the crotch mm-hmm. you know, on the chin. Um, how do you like the no bezel? Does that impact the way you use Fantastic. it? Fantastic. Really? <laughs> You're one with the content. Do you, but do you find like the, key, the screen responding to your thumb sticking on the side and stuff like that? No. Hmm. Interesting. I also don't hold my tablet like that. Fair enough. Easel grip. What if you do hold your tablet? Well, of course, I it, guess you can also just, enough. it's thin enough. You can grip it by the sides. It's almost as narrow as just the iPad mini screen by itself. Is this 16 by 10? 16 by 10. Hmm. It's a beautiful tablet. It's really pretty. How much is it? 400 bucks. Wow. Uh, no LTE, but micro SD slot for Why? storage. Okay. So that's what the, that's what the slot on the side is. That's what the Do they have an LTE is. option or no? Uh, not right now. How's battery? Uh, so far very good. Okay. Like full normal, what you would expect from a tablet? Uh, I've read 10 hours, and in my experience, um, more than that for okay. web browsing. That's good. Uh, I started ripping Blu-rays again. It's been a while, but my daughter is to the age now that she's destroying discs. So rather than have her destroy lots of discs and have to keep rebuying them, I started ripping Blu-rays, and it's it's a disease. Is it like a real-time process? No. How long does it take? It's a runs about... Depends on the... so. I'm using Make MKV to do the rip to copy the H.264 videos off of the disc, decrypt them, and put them in a MKV container on the drive with whatever audio and subtitle streams I want. And then I pipe that into Handbrake because those usually are twenty or thirty gigs, which is you know fine. Yeah, I could probably do enough hard drives to make that work, but I'd rather um, I'd rather not just because yeah. four terabyte drives aren't that exp- aren't that cheap. Um, the uh once you put them in so that takes about 30 minutes to an hour depending on how big the the movie is to rip or to rip Ah. and then the encode runs at anywhere from five to ten frames a second depending on the type of content you're encoding wow so you're looking at and and just to be clear i i've fussed with settings a fair amount i haven't I haven't pushed as far as I could into making it look shitty and making it smaller. Yeah. I chose to do something that's going to be safe, easily repeatable, won't require a lot of redos, Are you even if it takes longer. Using GPU acceleration? No, of I'm anything? using handbrakes, so they don't have GPU acceleration. They have, um, uh, they support Intel's uh, QuickView H.264 encode for certain profiles and certain settings, but my CPU doesn't support that, so I'm, I'm boned. I'm using, this is on an old hexacore. Um, it is, uh, I'll bring up one of the files links. I'm interested to see how long it takes to run on your computer norm on the, on the octa core. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you can make it go faster. You can make it run almost real time. Uh, the quality was much worse or the file sizes were a lot bigger. So I'm, I'm taking the time to do it. I, like I said, I want to have something I don't have to futz with on each individual file. There's already enough of that with the audio streams and the subtitles and all that stuff. Um, but the results are really good and I'm getting stuff files that are between five and say 12 gigs, depending on how big the movie was originally. So, um, then anim- animated stuff seems to be a lot better just cause there's less color. It's more, you know, more flat colors. Hmm. So, um, so that's what I'm working on. 
uh, when I figure out settings, when I get settings to a point that I'm really comfortable with them and think they're pretty solid, I'll, I'll share with an article on the site. Um, I also started using my iFi and my camera and my 5N again over the holidays uh, because the iFi, the newer versions of the iFi firmware let you switch back and forth between connecting to Wi-Fi when you're at home and doing a direct to device mode uh, when you're out. So you can actually open your iPhone, connect to the iFi's Wi-Fi hot point access point, and then see the pictures pop up on your phone as you're shooting, which is awesome. Hmm. Um, I don't know if people are into that. If you are, send us a question. We'll talk about it more. Um, and then the last thing is I've been using a real watch, like a traditional watch instead of a smartwatch for the last few weeks, which has been weird. Um, yeah. How's that? How's that transition? I, for the first week or so, I still wear the pebble occasionally when I'm in a situation where I feel like it would be useful. But for the first week or so, every time my phone vibrated in my pocket, I just looked at the watch to wait for the (laughs) notification to come in. Yep. Um, you know, because with the Pebble, at least, I don't know if it's the same with the Android Android Wear stuff, but with the Pebble, the phone vibrates, and then you have a split second, and then the phone, the, the watch hits. Uh, so you, you basically could look at the watch before the no- notification comes, uh, so you, you can know go if back you wanted to it. it. Well, you can go back to it as well. Um, but yeah, so once I got used to that not happening, I, I kind of like it. Like, it, I still tell the time. I like the watch. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, when the Apple Watch comes out, there's going to be a real day of reckoning. Oh, so you're, you're done with Pebble? No, no, I still, I, like I said, I, I, oh. I'm using multiple watches. I'm switching back and forth. Why? Because I got a new watch for Christmas. Ah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Um, I hadn't used a regular watch in a long time, and I, I realized I quite like it. We were talking to a friend yesterday at lunch, and I was like, hmm, we should probably talk about this. This is kind of interesting. But anyway. Charging is going to be the biggest thing. I, Apple needs good charging solutions. What do you mean? What do you mean? For the, for the Apple Watch. Yeah, but it's gonna, you have to charge it every night. Is that going to be a problem? I'm saying more, they need to make it easier for people to charge it. It has a little are. stand. The expensive one comes with a stand, right? Really? Yeah, the expensive ones, Did I think, a box. That? I believe so. Oh. And there were even stands available at CES. So my watch, the thing about my watch is it's a mechanical watch, and it's not an automatic, so you have to wind it every day. Yeah. It turns out, not that big a deal. Oh, yeah, right. Like, I I'd always knocked... Hey, I have a digital quartz watch or whatever that you put a battery in the last two years. You just get that. It's like, I think. Right. But with, with a manual windup watch, you can do that wherever you that's are. That's true. Absolutely. If a digital true. watch runs out of power. If you're in your car and runs out of power, that's trouble. you can't charge it so, and see the time again until you find the charger. Station. So the thing that I'll say, you know, two or three weeks into wearing a mechanical watch that needs winding every day is I find myself forgetting to wind it much less frequently than I found myself with a dead pebble because I think daily charge, even though this sounds weird, I think having to charge daily just becomes part of your routine. Having to charge once a week means I always fucking forget it until it's dead. That's funny. Which, which, you know, I don't know if that's a universal thing. I'd be interested to hear what people think. I, it's bizarre to me. People who do not daily charge their phones also. Well, at this point, it's just the thing. I put it on the nightstand with the plug at night. Exactly. And And that's just a thing that I do. Yeah, me too. Me too. I know people who don't. Who, who they put the charge in the middle of the day because it's not because like they stress their phone to day and a half. It's just, Some people it's just don't take about. those steps to improve their lives. You know, those small little steps. Well, I think these are their lives. these are things that technology can solve. I think it's a thing that charging pads and wireless charging. Oh, wireless charging sucks. Well, I, it, it still it works if it's built into the phone. The uh, uh, you mean inductive? Yeah, that's how the Apple Watch is going to charge, right? But yeah. you still I, that's not. 
That's not contact. What Norm is talking about is like power mat type right. charge like pads. The, like the Nexus 5. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you can just buy a pad and just put it on there. I want an Apple Watch so bad that I bought my kids smartwatches for Christmas. What did you get them? The VTech Kitty Zoom. What does it do? It costs about 70 bucks, which I've seen is now down to 50 now that Christmas <laughs> is over. And it's not connected, but it's a tiny little touchscreen. And you can play games and do a stopwatch and tell time. Tamagotchi. And so it's like the Game and Watch. You can you can record your voice and modulate it and turn it into like you know a robot. Kids have it so all kinds of days. things. It can take pictures. It can take video. Is it going to prime them for the Apple Watch? It primed me for the Apple Watch. <laughs> so um, that that's my little smartwatch story. Oh. Jeremy, anything you've been testing? You want to talk about? I killed my three D printer. Oh no! Yeah. What did you do? I left the house with it printing something, and it turns out that you can that if if you're not careful with your filament when you take it out and put the filament back on the shelf, it can become wound within itself, and you know can wrap under one of yeah. the spools. And so I guess that had happened, and I left, and after it started printing long enough that it oh, got no. it jammed and it pulled the spool rack up onto itself. Who knows? I wasn't there to see it, but oh boy. it ended up um, jamming the print head it's such that so I... Did you have to take it apart? I did, which the first time I ever did that, you built yours. Yeah. Mine was assembled. So I took it apart and looked online, found out how to unclog it. So the hot end was clogged? It was, but it didn't work after I unclogged it. Did you get it? So when I clogged our print head, which I did almost <laughs> immediately after turning on the printer the second time... I had to heat it up really, really hot, like 240, oh, wow. hold it with a pair of pliers, and then I took a th- 1.75 millimeter rod yeah. and put some plastic in and then used that to jam the plastic through. Mm-hmm. But I think if you leave the PLA in there long enough, it like crystallizes and, and you have to drill it out, right? It's similar to what I did, but no, it, I got it unclogged, but the whatever it is that heats it up, the thermistor or something, yeah. it didn't work. The thermometer still worked. But the, it wouldn't heat up. Did you plug it back in all the way? Yeah. Did you miss cables? No, I tried everything. Okay. Uh, so I had to order a new... I have a spare hot end oh, if you want. Oh, really? Yeah, you should have asked. Those are pricey. I ordered a new one. I thought I was going to need one when I jammed ours and we oh. needed the printer for the live show. So I just bought another one and then I was able to fix it. Well, I'll know that next yeah. time. Um, all fixed though. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Uh, let's take a cut. Co- Norm, anything else for you? I got Gear VR. Oh, Gear VR. Jeremy, you want to put it on? Desperately, you don't have but the note. Doesn't matter. You can ergonomics. We will get the notes coming. A live test on site. It's uh, going to feel. Samsung so- did a blog post yesterday about the, the design of the Gear VR headset. They were very proud. It's, of this thing. It's really front heavy, but I think that's unavoidable with the. Well, it's, probably, yeah. Without the the phone, you can't tell. So imagine adding. What does it look another, like when you look through without the go- the the phone? Oh, you, that lost. That's horrible. <laughs> you look like Wally. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? It's it's not get closer to the mic, Jeremy. I know that you guys said it's very heavy. Well, the there's no there phone yet. in there, yeah. but uh, I'm actually surprised how comfortable it is. Well, you don't have the top strap on either. Yeah, you don't. Even oh, there's the top strap. The top strap helps nice a ton. Strap. I like the padding that they used. It's it feels good. Yeah. Can I see? I'm gonna try it with no with no uh, no phone. No phone. The go glaze. Oh wow! Oh, that's that's not what you want. <laughs> wow. Will, okay. Will looks I'm like done. a minion. I'm the, the one. Despicable me. So how long until we get the Note Four uh, in here? A week and a half. Com- comes next week. Sweet. Yeah. Um, 
Do you guys want to take some questions? We'll talk more about the Gear VR in the future. Oh, the it works with my glasses. Where it belongs. Yeah, exactly. Again, more touching the future. I'm going to play some music. Then we're going to talk. We're going to take some questions. Emails? Well, but we do the other one. Emails. It's, you know, we don't do emails. We do emails. No, 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 no. Questions. Boom. If you have a question for This Is Only a Test, the email address is podcast at tested.com. Uh, send your questions. We don't like, hey, which phone should I get questions? Because they're boring. Send us good questions like these. Norm's gasping as he I'm looks curious, into VR. What if we put Google Cardboard? On this, and it would, if it would work with Google Cardboard, I can see all the subpixels on my 1080p phone. Is it? That's an IPS phone, isn't it? No, it's, oh, OLED. it's like OLED. Okay. Um, our first question comes from Julius Johnson. He says, "Hello, how do Norm, Will, and the guest handle tech tech support for parents? Um, every time I get home for the holidays, I have a bunch of easy for me, not for my parents, tech stuff to do. Upgrade old drivers, reinstall programs with bugs, or just remove some new de- some desktop icon- icons that they don't actually need. I don't mind doing this at all, but is there a way I could do this remotely so that I can skip trying to guide them on the phone when something doesn't work? I am on Windows. My parents have Mac, Mac PC, and Android tablets. Uh, would be great if I could access them all. Thanks. How do you handle You have remote parents, right, Jeremy? Yes. Uh, do you I, do tech support? For it them? has gotten to the point where I've tried a remote desktop before. Uh, mm-hmm. I would actually recommend the thing we talked about last week, which is the Chrome remote desktop. Oh, this is a great solution. Because that would be a cross-platform. Yeah. It doesn't work on iOS. No, that's true. So you're out of luck there, but you'll be able to see their Macs and their PCs, any kind of desktop environment. That's uh, good. How would you do a... a I think you, there's like GoToMeeting and stuff like that, but most of it doesn't work. For iPads? For or, you, There's a GoToMeeting client for iPad. I assume there's a go to PC client for iPad. I don't think there's a way to go the other way from the That's PC I mean, to the yeah. iPad. Um, the good thing is the iPad's straightforward enough. Usually you can just, I pick up my iPad and walk, walk my parents right. through it. Yep. Um, I, my, I was lucky enough that my sister married somebody who's technically inclined. So a lot of my responsibilities on the tech support front have passed to the local branch of, of the nerds. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, if people have suggestions, I would love to hear this because I think it's something, it's a problem that a lot of people have. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always just, um, FaceTime Skype on your phone yeah. and have them aim it at whatever device they're having trouble I've, with. I've done that more than I care to. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it works. Sometimes that's the best way to figure out what har- what horrible way they've messed something up. Yep. Cause otherwise you'll never, you'll never get to the point that they, Oh, my phone was in airplane mode. You know, and and as we move to more touch interfaces with fewer labels, it's a lot harder, like teaching my parents how to do the pull up from bottom to get control center on their iPads. Real significant problem. Like that was hard. Yeah, because it's it doesn't work in places where the keyboard's on. You have to start from off the screen, which is a new gesture. Right. Like I feel the pain of UI UX designers trying to get people to learn how to do that stuff. Yep. Um, but anyway. I think the Chrome remote desktop is a really, really solid tip though. Uh, next question comes from Lars Peter, Lars Peter, I guess another North. This is a, this is another, we're getting a lot of Scandinavian questions this week. Hey guys, big fan of the site for several years. My question is, have you ever considered making a tested app? I don't know if you had one in the early days, but we considered developing one now. Uh, we don't need a tested app because our site is a responsive design and, um, shrinks down to fit on mobile the videos play on mobile everything works on mobile so you don't need an app to view tested you can just open it up on your phone and make an icon on the home screen if you like us that much and it'll just work responsive we're small so building out 
like just from a from a philosophical standpoint when you're a site that has you know three full-time people working on it and uh, shared time with engineering if we had to support both a website and an app things that already take too long to fix and change would take even longer so we don't want to build an app for the site and if you want to watch our videos they're on youtube which has a lot of really good apps related if anybody wanted to make an octopi app i would pay ten dollars for that I think it works pretty well on the phone. Works fine, but there's a lot of zooming involved, and <laughs> I just want to be able to use nice big fat buttons all the time. Fair enough. Responsive design fails when um, when there's pixel scaling in, in web browsers on high DPI screens. Yes. So when the screen, for example, it doesn't have to. It, it just does because most to. people don't support the high DPI screens right in their image tags. Exactly, including us. Can I hold for, that some more? for full disclosure? Um, Pat, uh, any more Norm are you nope. good okay Patrick asks hey guys I'm looking to start using smart things and had a few questions one thing I've not been able to find info about is how lights controlled by multiple switches work with the system I see two different scenarios one have one smart switch to control the lights from smart things and the other switch or switches be regular would the smart switch be able to tell when the light is turned on or off via regular switch Two, replace all regular switches with smart ones I assume they're able to communicate and know that another switch has turned the light on or off um, so what you're there's three there's a third third scenario here you're not thinking about, which is to replace the light in the in the receptacle with a smart smart bulb and then just leave the switches on all the time. Um, the if you want to use uh, they're called master and slave switches when you have a th- or three way switches when you have uh, uh, two switches that control one light. For example, if there's a hallway or a stairway with a switch on either end, one of those switches is the main switch. The other switch is a secondary switch that works off of the main switch. And you'll end up in a situation where you tap where one can be up and one can be down. There's all sorts of variables. If you're using like touch aware switches, they use the same thing, but they can communicate to each other across the wires. Um, if you want to do this with uh, Zigbee or Z-Wave enabled switches, all you have to do is get three-way switches that are Zigbee or Z-Wave enabled, and it'll it just works itself out. Uh, you have to have relatively modern wiring wiring for those to work. You have to have a control line, uh, so you need three wires coming into the switch rather than just two. But aside from that, it just it should just work. Um, if you want to get in without having to replace a bunch of switches in your house, the bulbs are probably the way to go, and then you can just put a little thing over that says "Don't turn off." Leave the bulb on. Leave the switch on all the time. Uh, next question. I'm thinking about going Philips Hue in my new house. What do you think of that? Uh, there are much better alternatives. Do you want the colors or do you just want smart little switches? No, I like the colors. <laughs> okay, there are not much better alternatives for the colors. Uh, the Hue stuff adds a layer of abstraction between the Z-Wave and Zigbee controls because you need to have the Hue hub in addition to the Zigbee and Z-Wave hub. Uh. Um, uh, Cree and uh, GE both have really reasonably priced smart bulbs compared to the Hue stuff. So you can get uh, GE link bulbs at Home Depot for like 20 bucks when they have them in stock, which is their LED bulbs. So that's it's basically a double premium over what a normal LED bulb costs these days. Uh, Cree just announced some bulbs. I haven't actually had a chance to test. But they're those just yet. white, right? They're just white. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're dimmable, which is nice. That's good. Uh, and so that means when you turn them on, they do the soft fade up and the soft fade down, which wow. is really cool. Um, and they're, I think they're, the, I think, I don't know what the Cree are. The, the G bulbs are Zigbee. So they'll work with smart things and a bunch of other stuff. 10 bucks a pop for non-smart, 20 bucks a pop for smart. I think that's reasonable, right? That seems, I mean, 
They last a long time. They, they last. I mean, they, you, you, the theory is that f- even for non-smart ones, quarter of a million hours, you don't have to replace them ever, right? Unless someone shatters them. Yeah. Um, I'm using one of the GE Link bulbs at home. When I get the Cree bulbs in, we'll revisit and do Hue versus GE Link versus uh, Smart uh, versus the Cree because GE uh, Philips also has. I think they call them Lux bulbs now, which are, and I have some of those as well. They're they're not. Uh, color bulbs they're just cool to warm and dimmable so you can adjust the color temperature a little bit i think and then and then adjust the brightness they tie into the hub. and they tie into the same hub mm. so the hub fit, is there limits how many bulbs the hub I, can fit i have six devices on my hue hub right now and nothing's changed there's no problems with it and also if it cannot if it can't find the connection to the hub then it just works as a regular bulb well yeah the, so the nice thing about using the smart bulbs instead of the switches um instead or it's more applicable to lamps so if you have like a like a end lamp or or bedside lamps and stuff like that if you use the smart if you use the switches then you can turn it off in two places right so it turns off at the wall and then no power comes in you have to turn the phone on or something to, to flip that switch when you pull the switch on and off nothing happens because there's no power coming to it. If it's off at the wall with the smart bulbs, there's power coming to it. So if you flip the switch on and off, it just turns on whether without having to turn your phone on. If, if say the internet connection is out, your internet's down, your smart hub is broken or something like that. Mm. So there is a, like essentially a manual fail back on the smart bulbs. If, if you use them instead of the smart switches. Got it. Makes sense. Yes. Um, Lights, the colors are fun. You can sync it up with Sharknado. That's a oh, the movie. Jeremy Williams. You can also sync it up with Twelve Monkeys. <laughs> You're not curious. Twelve Monkeys. The TV show. The TV show. 12 Is that Monkeys. right? That's in yeah. the, the, the seriously. Yeah. How do you do that? How does that even work? Uh, I think you give the app. You download an app because you, you download a special player app, right? You download a special Hue app because you can. You don't. You have to use the Philips Hue app to control the hub. There are third-party apps, right? It's a and big so I th- API. I think it's a separate app that you just download and then run it when the show starts. Wow. Okay. Um, that means you can't skip ads. Well, the, 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 it's got to sync up. It can't be like playing Dark Side of the Moon with Wizard of Oz. I, I think, think it's got to be a player. It's got to be synced up. You yeah. can skip ads. I would think. I think it has to. Be, I think it's like a physical movie player. Then you can AirPlay or yeah, Chromecast or whatever. The answer is probably online already. Yeah, we we should know this. Um, Chris writes in and says, "Hey guys, I have the worst white elephant ever. Um, the worst worst white elephant experience I have ever participated in. This is relating to Norm's white elephant." with the men of game dev calendar that went to somebody who doesn't know what that is. Um, uh, the first time, my first time participating in, in the, in the white elephant, I ended up with a bunch of small things in a lottery ticket. I scratched off the ticket. It was a hundred dollar winner. Wow. The person who I didn't know came up to me after the party and said, oops, I mistakenly put that in the package <laughs> and took it right from my hand. I didn't know these people that well. So I went along with it, but that has always stuck with me. What? Uh, that was a terrible that. white elephant. One year we gave my brother-in-law a fake winner lottery ticket. Like it looked like a real lottery ticket and it was like a $5,000 winner. And so he, everybody scratched their lottery tickets off and lost and he scratched his lottery <laughs> ticket off and just put it in his pocket. Didn't say anything. And then, <laughs> then he got called out and everybody had been drinking a little bit later. So that was fun. That's the way to do it. It's I'm going to go ahead and tell you fake winner lottery tickets. Not a good idea Malicious. in a family environment. It is very damaging to relationships. <laughs> Uh, that'll do it for news uh, this week, uh, for um, emails this week, rather. Uh, if you have a, a question, the email address is podcast at tested.com. 
Uh, please send questions. We always love to get them. We also need more outros. The newest outro is like a month and a half old. Uh, so if you hear us say something dumb, you want to cut it into the outro, do that. We'll say your name on the podcast. Um, a few other housekeeping things. Creature Geeks first season ended on Friday. So if you like, you should go back and listen to it. It's a really awesome show about effects makeup from Frank Ippolito, who's you, you should know by now if you're a tested, tested regular, uh, and Len Peralta, who is also a podcast kind of a, he's a, he's a, a monster of creativity. He's an illustrator. He does a lot of podcasts. He does a ton of cool stuff. I've enjoyed the videos of you writing things at CES. That is a thing that we have going on the site right now. That's fun. I wrote a lot of dumb things we have we're, as soon as they have review samples available, they're going to send us a one wheel. Um, so oh, we can yeah. try that thing out. I want to see, I want to try the gentle carving versus the more skateboard like approach of the, of the boost. Um, so yeah, if you like creature geek, go back and listen to it. You should go back and listen to it. If you haven't, uh, if you liked it, let us know. Uh, I think Frank and Len are already working on another season. So, uh, with, with big plans on that front. Um, uh, we finally got uh, the RSS problem that was keeping a bunch of dads and Mr. and Mrs. Smith from iTunes. So if you search for those two podcasts there on iTunes, now you can go subscribe through there. If you're already subscribed through the RSS, nothing has changed. You'll keep getting the podcast that way. Uh, once it's on iTunes, it should filter out to all the third-party podcast apps like Overcast and Downcast and that stuff because I think most of them pull their data from iTunes. Um, and uh, a bunch of dads was approved for a PAX East panel. So we'll, we're going to try to do an episode in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be at PAX East in March, I guess, uh, podcasting and talking about dad stuff and, and other things. So uh, if you're coming to PAX East, we'll see you there. And if you're not, then we'll post it on the site after it's done, barring uh, uh, dis- disastrous technical issues. Uh, I think that's it for me. Anything from you guys? Jeremy, you're on Twitter, at Jerware. At Jerware. Or if they want to find out, is any Game Frame related news coming? <laughs> no. You got any, any hot, hot scoops? No news, uh, unfortunately, but maybe someday. Someday. Okay. Months and You've months. You've opened, away. the door was closed, it seemed like, for a while. What and now mean? is it the Game Frame yeah. future door was closed? Oh, yeah. Is it opening back up? No. Oh. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm okay. just looking into the various options, but there's no news and there won't be for some time. Okay. But thank you for asking. Norman Chan, you're N Chan on Twitter. Mm hmm. Anything coming from you? No, we'll see you on Leap Dangerous. See you guys. Are you playing are you playing Elite? Are you streaming? Are you Commander? What's your commander name? Tested Norm. I've already run into five Tested Readers. Sweet, really? Like run into them in a headway? They've joined me for bounty hunting. Do they really? Do you have a posse? No. Do you a voice com with them or just text? No, just text. Yeah. And then they shout out on Twitter. Are there clans? I don't think they were clans. Not yet. I mean, like you, you can't team up friends groups. Okay. You friends groups. Um, it's a fun game. And I'm Will Smith on Twitter. If you want to find me, uh, we'll be back next week with another edition of this is only test. I'm going to be in Chicago this weekend. I, it, I looked at the weather yesterday and it's scary. No, you don't want to do that. Yeah. It's like 32 <laughs> high. The high is just barely above freezing. Um, do you have any life tips, life hacks for me surviving winter? I haven't been someplace that's that cold in a really long time. Oh, you know, it's invigorating. It'll make you appreciate the Bay Area Do again. I have to breathe through my nose or anything? You'll remember why you live here. Yeah, probably. Why it's worth paying all this money. Um, yeah, so we're not going to do a meetup or anything, but uh, if, if you're going to the thing that I'm going to in Chicago, I'll see you there. Uh, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, have a good week, guys. And today's outro comes to us from Ad Hoc. I don't. I didn't listen to this one before I put it in here. So if it's super offensive, I apologize. It has a naughty word in the title. Hi there. I didn't see you. Tested. 
Yeah, do prime rib on Thanksgiving. That's from the episode where we learned that Norm does prime rib on Thanksgiving. Fuck yeah. Bye.